Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! You know, Troy, I just got to say, leading into this episode of Dark Night of the Podcast, that my God, my stomach, my abs are killing me. And, you know, it's simply because last night's guest host, Chris Jenner, not to be confused with Chris Jenner, had me laughing the whole fucking time. What a doll. I always forget how funny that fucker is. <laughs> he, yeah, because he wasn't really that funny when we were filming Teacher Shortage. <laughs> he was, he was so, quiet, like a, like a lamb to himself. Yeah. And but God, so I was, he creeps up on you. I was, yeah, I was completely surprised and pleasantly surprised by his, by his contribution to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, Saying, and, you know, I, I was so scared having a guest that we would like break our flow. But you know what? complete opposite it did not we i've got some really great feedback so yeah people love yeah it. yeah and we're having him back for sure that is going to be something i got to say right now we're, we're going to bring him back we're going to review uh one of these days we're hoping to review sorority row the remake uh but until then until that's uh on the table right now we have a, a different guest we have somebody coming uh from a whole other area of the podcasting world we have another podcaster who focuses on the topic of pop culture. It's the pop culture Persephone. And if you're not familiar with her, please get hip, get to know her. She's an absolute doll. I say she's an honorary gay man in a uh, woman's body and she's a riot. We have her here today. Uh, Pop culture Persephone, are you there? I am here, Roger and Troy. How are you guys doing today? Oh God, we're, we're laughing it up. We're great. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to, to come on and discuss what we are going to be discussing. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I'm, um, you know, following up that Chris, I, I, I'm going to call him Chris Jenner. Chris Jenner. I also was in stitches. That boy <laughs> had me in stitches and uh, quite a vocalist, by the way. Like that song. But oh, yeah. so I'm very happy to be the second. The second dark night of the podcast guest. It's fun to be in the other role. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, for, for uh, individuals who may not be familiar with your podcast, um, which I have been a guest on, and thank you for that, including me on some of our wonderful conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Give um, give some of our listeners a, a, a brief uh, fill them in. Let them know what yeah. you do and what it's about. Well, there's... We all know there's a zillion pop culture related podcasts out there. Um, So I'm not reinventing the wheel here, people, but you do get my sense of humor. And I do try to, I'm looking at pop culture through a lot of different intersecting lanes, a lot of times through a female lens, 
Oftentimes I'll have queer guests on, queer and gay guests on. It'll be through a queer lens, a gay lens. Oftentimes it will be all women talking about a mostly dominated male movie. So I try to play with it a little bit so it's just not a gossip dump. Um, and I also talk about things that are happening um, in the media that started off as perhaps a news story and morphed into true crime. So morphed into true crime and then morphed into pop culture eventually, because everything pop culture essentially touches everything. I last week, I just um, released an episode on the club kid murder, like in the nineties with Michael Alec, who was essentially the father of the club kids. And unfortunately, I mean, it's a horror movie in and of itself. Um, the movie Party Monster was developed out of it, but Michael Alec had just um, overdosed on Christmas morning in this last year. So I had been wanting to revisit that story, but true crime alone, the intersection of true crime and pop culture is insane, especially when mm -hmm. it comes to murders and what have you. So I kind of give the crowd a little bit of everything. I'm releasing an episode tomorrow. I release every Tuesday morning, and it's unfortunately all about the um, growing white male mediocrity that is Ben Affleck and that we are going to have to re revisit Benefer 3.0. Nobody really wants to, but we're there, and I have to talk about it. But I have a lovely <laughs> guest. I mean, someone's got to do the work. Someone's got to do the work. <laughs> it's true. We need to know. When it comes to this shit, we need to know. And as gays, we need to know. And you yes. are, uh, you're bestowing your knowledge upon us. And, you know, Troy is quite the uh, fan of true crime. So you're hitting on a niche here that I think you're, you're rubbing them the right way. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge true crime fan. I mean, I literally, the only thing, I don't even listen to music anymore. <laughs> no, honestly, for like the last three years, I don't listen to music. I listen to true crime podcasts. Even oh when my I, God. Even You're when, after my heart. Right. Even when I'm working out, running, I'm people are thinking I'm probably running to Britney Spears or Gaga. No. Like, no, I'm listening to True Crime Garage, Sword and Scale. I'm, that gets me going. Yeah. I was listening to Crimes of the Century today while I was lifting weights. See, there you go. Okay. I, I need it. I know we're about to segue into <laughs> the, the, the review, but I'm so enamored with this conversation and this union of souls that um I okay. Troy, mm -hmm. throw out, give me, it can be as obscure as possible. What is right now? What is one of your favorite? I don't want to say favorite. That sounds horrible. People have died. It's but, fine. Um, you can is, say favorite. What's your, what is your <laughs> obsession? True crime. Like, like name one. I want to see if you, if Teresa knows it. Cause Teresa is a, she knows everything true crime. And I want to see, I want to see if you guys can connect on one true crime story. Oh God, there's so many. One that really baffles me. Um, it's, it's actually a missing person um, case. It's not, I'm assuming he's dead, but it's the Brian Schaefer case. Um, he, it, it's a, it's a, it was a college kid that went missing from a bar in Columbus, Ohio back in 2007, maybe uh, he was out drinking the, he was at the, a, a, a bar called the ugly tuna saloon. And the surveillance video caught him going into the club, but he's, you never see him leave. And he literally just vanished without a trace. And there's all these different theories. It kind of ties into the whole smiley face killer theory. 
So it's it's really baffling. And then one that I'm really fascinated with, probably the case that got me into true crime is one everyone knows, but I just find it so fascinating. And that's John Benet Ramsey. I mean, all the elements of that case, the, the ransom note, the, I mean, so yeah. You're speaking to Teresa's heart. Yeah. I mean, I have a problem. Whenever I see anything new popping up with John Benet Ramsey, I it's like, I'm going. I'm going to be 45 minutes late. I'm sorry. Something's happened. There may be a shred of evidence, but yeah, I find. Um, I heard a bit about that Brian Schaefer case. That's so interesting. You brought that up, though. That is, that is very um, interesting. That case. He's just a well. I I picked that one, but he is just a uh, one in a string of college right. age guys that have gone missing after drinking a night out uh-huh. and drinking in the Midwest. I think there's been over 90 uh, young men who have gone missing um, from bars or, or, go, or parties just in like a span of okay. like 10 years. Um, and they've some of them are found weeks later in bodies of water. Some of them are never found. So yeah, wow. it's kind of interesting. I mean, I would, I would say the one, and I'll make it a little bit local here in Cleveland. I'm not going to say Amy Mahalovic because that continues to be. Oh, I know that one very well. Um, a fascinating case and mm-hmm. it's just so heartbreaking. But um, there's a little bit of a lesser known case um, out of Shaker Heights. And it was the Lisa Pruitt case. Mm. And it's a cold case to this day where a girl, um, she got on her bike. She was um, a sophomore and she had a, she was going to uh kind of sneak into her boyfriend's house down the street. Somebody attacked her from the back and um, strangled her, stabbed her to death. And it really divided that town of Shaker Heights. There was, um, there was a guilty um, kind of an attitude of this person is guilty because we don't like him. And while this person you know, it was it was a very bizarre case that was covered a lot in especially in scene and the plain dealer and what have you. And it's a cold case today and it there's no answers. And the two big suspects, one lives kind of a very quiet life. I actually went to college with him at um OU, the boyfriend at the boyfriend. And the one that was the person that everyone thought had done it because he was kind of a bizarre kid, a little bit off. He had been, he had said a few things here and there, but there was absolutely no evidence. He ended up killing himself a few years ago. Oh. Do you like how I said that with an inflection? <laughs> up, like it was good. Um, it out. Not good. Excuse me. Um, killing himself. I've actually heard that case. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts, True Crime Garage. Those guys are from Ohio. They covered great. it. Yeah, they covered it in like a four part series. It's, it's called the Shaker Heights murder there. They do four episodes on it. So, yeah, I was familiar with that. It is very fascinating. Lots of twists and turns. Lots of twists and turns. And just like just like <laughs> just like the movie we're covering. It's exactly like <laughs> that's that's <laughs> I was trying to think of a true crime way to transition. I would say there's a lot apparently of truth. that wasn't a very good. You know, like, there may not be truth to Tamara of the movie itself, but there are elements of uh, of this movie in the midst of it unfolding that I have to say, um, I give me a, a, a very strong feeling of good for you, girl. Like, like, and to that there is truth. So I will say that uh, Tamara, this is our pick 
Oh, no. Not all of them. Not all of no. them. Good for you, girl. No, not all. Some are no, some are no. really poor. A lot, you know, a lot of the people in this movie make poor decisions. I'd say the majority of the people in Tamara make poor decisions. But uh for the listeners who may or may not be following this, the movie this week that we are reviewing, it's a 2005 film, and it is it is entitled Tamara, straight to the point. Uh, And you know what, my reason, you know, coming back to why I I asked uh, Teresa to come on this episode and why I picked this title, Teresa, the pop culture Persephone, uh, has a lot of knowledge about all things pop culture. And this movie stars Jenna Dewan, formerly uh, Tatum, the former wife of Channing Tatum. And for some reason, she keeps coming back up in our lives. Jenna Dewan. Teresa, what do you think about Jenna Dewan? I think she's, I think she's the ever ready bunny. I think you can't knock her down. And that's what I like about her. Because let me tell you, that divorce, that separation that led to the divorce from Channing Tatum, her once best friend, her once business partner, rocked her more than people expected. Especially after he decided to date her doppelganger, a British doppelganger, Jesse J, just an evil one. He literally, people, when you, leave someone do not then go and date someone that looks just like them that is unacceptable it's offensive um, especially jesse fucking jay who we've got a bone to pick with her but that's a whole other podcast yeah i mean another thing about Je- everyone knows that jenna dewan her start really was as um she was a backup dancer for janet jackson moved on to pink christina aguilera but that training, she has a huge background in dance. She ended up doing the blockbuster step up with her boyfriend, then turned husband, Channing Tatum. And we know how everything else kind of fleshed out from there. But Jenna Dewan Tatum has turned out two of my favorite Lifetime movies, both based on true crime stories. Full fucking circle. The the cheerleader one. The cheerleader one. What was that called? Is that, or, that is was that, the Fab Five. The, the Fab Texas Five. cheerleading yes. story. Yes. I love that And she one. played like a long-suffering, um, she was like the cheer advisor that was going by the rules, which you didn't do with the Fab Five, who were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. Um, so she was up against a lot of bullheaded young ladies in that one. but And, and Tatum O'Neill. And... Tatum O'Neill looking kind of ragged, but in a great, sexy, still Tatum O'Neill way. And she still sounds like Tatum O'Neill. That's what I like about her. I just remember the, yeah, the commercials for that were like an Oscar winner, Tatum O'Neill. Tatum O'Neill. Fab Five, the Texas cheerleader bitches or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And Tatum O'Neill's character is the biggest enabler of them all. I'm like, why are we indulging these little bitches? They're horrible horrible but in 2013 she did a movie where she played a very bad girl so i knew she had it in her she had it in her from tamara called she made them do it and it was based on a the sarah joe pender case but they took a lot of liberties with Mm. it it's really about a woman who's had like been brought up in a life of crime con artist 
will seduce anyone, will double cross anyone, man, woman, <laughs> dog, cat, to get what she wants. And she's really great in these roles, actually. Like, I want her to play more villains. And she's- Would you say that you, do you see early influences of Tamara that then later carried over into these performances? <laughs> okay, let's, she's, she's got her sea legs on by the time she did, she made them do it. As compared to Tamara. Tamara, we see a beginning actress who can dance well. Although she doesn't really dance well. Her legs this, are but we know great, my God. At any moment. Her legs. I mean, the body's ridiculous. Those pins, I don't even I don't even know. Um, but she's she's de- she definitely grows as an actress by the time we get to 2013s. She made them do it. Found on the Lifetime. You know, there's Network, several references to Lifetime Movie Network uh, in my notes as well. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna come back to it. I feel there's a lot of full circles with this this uh, specific episode. We're gonna touch on a lot of things. Um, I do want to acknowledge real quick before we just we uh, dive into the meat of the the plot because we do go pretty linear tree, and you're gonna have to carry us through this. You're gonna have to be um on a lifeboat to get us down this fucking yeah through this. Through Me? This. I know you take. <laughs> have you been you have been on my podcast you know the fucking tangents that happen well, you're gonna good luck to... <laughs> i'll try i I'm, I'm drinking whiskey and i may have had something else also with this whiskey so you know what for tamara you need it you need it okay it's a it's a loaded gun okay so um uh, this movie is directed by jeremy haft he is known for the movie grizzly mountain <laughs> not sure if either of you have seen it but uh other than that there is like a cast of a lot of like mid-2000s like some things like kind of had an impact but none of them really had a big impact on pop culture, pop culture. but we have like katie stewart is in it uh, as Chloe, we have Matthew Marsden, who looks like he would be a brother to James Marsden, but he is not. I believe he's, he's British or Canadian. He's British, but there's a Canadian. He's British, but- there's a douse of Canada all over this place. He's British, but it seems like all the rest of them have been have been working from Canada or are from Canada. Am I crazy here? You're a big- no, well, Canada makes a lot of. There's a big horror movie scene in Canada. Right. Lots of the classics are actually Canadian. And this one is, is not a classic, but you know what? It does scream Canada <laughs> all over it. Uh, the movie starts with an, an, like, now knowing what I know about Tamara, it starts with a surprisingly elegant intro. Like, the opening is, like, like lightly scored, and you get all this, like, it's a montage of, like, witchcraft and, like, you know, somebody's going about casting spells. We've seen it before in many a film, but it, it starts with a very, like, straight-to-the-point, classy intro. This movie does not, though, remain classy <laughs> as it proceeds. <laughs> I don't think classy is a word I could ever use to describe Tamara. No, it, go, it goes off the rails pretty quickly. Which I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and we have, to, we have to acknowledge that it's written by a gay man. Um, Jeffrey Reddick, who who also wrote Final Destination, um, yes. So there oh. is that shocking. Yeah. So you and it's very. I, I think you can very much tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm shocked. It's just a gay writer. I expect a gay co- costumer. I <laughs> lots of gay. Yeah. 
Um, and I also want to discuss while the cast, while the names are rolling, let's discuss the name Claudette Mink. <laughs> Claudette Mink plays Mrs. Allison Natoli, the, the counselor. And that name alone, Claudette Mink, if there's not a drag queen who's sampled that name, someone needs to Also, the, the, the Natoli family. Call me crazy. I feel like this is a bizarre it last like name to have in this. It's like good. Is this good fellas? Because yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the Natolis. I'm a guy that does that. He does English. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> and the the moment after we have this, what you know, this elegant, dare I say, intro, the credits, we immediately cut to a shot of Jenna Dewan Tatum's legs in what is the shortest denim skirt. <laughs> I have ever seen. It looks straight out of me, girls, this whole ensemble. And um, she struts into a classroom. She struts up to her teacher, Mr. Bill Natoli, a, a, a famous gangster, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> Matthew Marsden. She struts right up to him and she just lays it out on the table and mounts him. They start fucking kissing and it goes right into a very passionate sexual <laughs> makeup scene within seconds. With her teacher. And as an educator, I was watching this. I was very uncomfortable. I don't know why. <laughs> How, what are you doing, Jenna Duan? Like, seriously. And they're doing it in, in the open classroom. The, the classroom door is still wide open. They're just mount, she's just mounting them on the desk. I was very intrigued to figure out. I'm like, whose like, who's fantasy is this? I mean, I was, I believe me, I, I, I felt much better when I figured out it was hers and not Mr. Natoli's. Now, if this movie was made in 1983, it would have been Mr. Natoli's. It would be a very different movie. One thing about Bill Natoli I do want to say is at least he handles the oncoming advances like a professional Absolutely. to a certain extent. He he not once ever uh, appeases her desires. And at one point she starts kissing him and he's... I mean, apparently aroused, but even still, he's like, "Please stop!" He's like begging her. So I, I was, oh, when his when his arms are just like to the side, like dead. Yeah. He's like, uh, he's like, my body's dead. Yeah. I have to. My body must be dead. Do not become a wreck. I want it you so don't. bad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should ask Troy though. I mean, Troy being an educator, if he thinks that Mister Natoli's responses are appropriate, or if they need to be. More, I don't want to say firm. That's the wrong word. Aggressive, like direct. I mean, I think I think he handled this the situation pretty well. He he probably could have done more. Uh, he probably could have went and talked to the administrator and been like, "Hey, this girl is coming on to me." Just so you know, just in case there's any sort of r- rumor that starts to come, right. I want to let you know this is to protect him. But I really do think he handled it well. I mean, he he is very he gets very stern with her at one point in the movie, he, like brings her in the classrooms, like, "Oh, you little bitch, you better stay away from me." Um, so, I mean, he's doing what he can. Uh, and you know, I feel like you have to think of yourself as a teacher and you have a student that, you know, has some issues because obviously she has some issues and um, you don't, you don't want to like be too like mean to her. So you kind of turn her down a little bit more um, lightly than probably you should. I think that's what he did the first time. He was like, Hey, it happened. Don't worry about it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think he handled it pretty well. I mean, all we're saying is with uh, with this current uh, situation, we're not going. Although when he finds her standing in the middle of his house 
uh, that was a moment you should have been like, um, you need to leave. What are you even doing in my, inside my house? Like you came in my right. house, you need to go in a corset. I, in a corset. <laughs> and, well, I kind of felt like they were, I felt like at this part in the movie, not to get ahead, they were really trying, trying and maybe failing at showing the, in this form, the power that she is able to exert mm. that it's kind of like putting she is a witch, a spell on him because he was almost in a way frozen. Yeah. There. Yeah. In a way, out of shock, out of discomfort, out of, oh my fuck, why is this student dressed in a corset <laughs> in my house? But at the end of the day, I, I do want to at least acknowledge that this is not like a Jennifer Lopez, the boy next door caliber teacher error no in which she willingly fucks what i'm assuming is a 17 year old she first off <laughs> she does not know he is her student until the next day and he is 19 because he was he was back. kicked out of school You're because right. of his violence so you know the line gets blurred but um <laughs> anyways so after we're kicking it off with the uh, with a sex scene. Luckily, oh, well, no. L- luckily, the sex scene is a dream sequence. She is, she's, she's imagining, imagining this. So obviously, she has the hots for Mister Natoli, um, and she wakes up in the middle of class, and after she has this, this fantasy about Natoli, and it's clear from the get go she's a nerd because she's wearing a jean dress with a floral blouse. Yeah. <laughs> you can put, put as many frumpy jumpers and denim knee-length skirts as you want on Jenna Dewan. You cannot matter. You will not, you will never, you will never convince me that this girl is homely. <laughs> you you can't what what nonsense. You rolls <laughs> of hair in front of you and make sure you light her in like dark black and white sepia shades. Yes. No, I mean they just they always do this when they try to make a stupendously hot girl look nerdy. Just two large tendrils <laughs> and like a denim jumper, and I'm like, it, it's like the not another teen, the not another teen movie moment where like she has her hair in a ponytail and glasses, and then she like lets it down, and they're like, oh my god, you're so hot. hot yeah. It really is unbelievable when I see this beautiful girl in these frumpy ensembles for me to understand that she could be bullied to such a severe level. But it is what it is. I'll buy it. She also doesn't have socialization True. skills. So that is adding to many of yeah. this. It's very much like Carrie. Yeah. Yes. It very much is. And yeah, and I do want to acknowledge that this school, we have, Troy, we have watched many a film now in which the students of various schooling systems, high schools, colleges, what have you, do not look of age. However, the amount of body hair on some of the male students within this particular school, it is overwhelming. It's worrisome. I'm nervous for these young men and how quickly they must be developing. And then they do explain that all of them are on steroids and it makes complete sense. Rapey one, I forget his name. Brunette rapey, not long hair, longer hair rapey. He is- Sean. Sean, yes. The one with the beady eyes. He is what? Maybe 27? (laughs) It's ridiculous. You compare him to nerdy hot Roger, who they try to make nerdy with glasses. And I'm like, this guy's probably got the best body out of all of them. 
And like that kid at least looked maybe 24. But the ages, the age, steroids and the ages in the bodies are all over the place. Yeah, the girl with the short yeah. hair looks like a, a soccer mom. Um, oh, Melissa Marie Ellis, who is also, she has been in more Lifetime Christmas movies, Teresa, than is Lacey. This, the Af- this is Chabet. the African-American girl, correct? The bully? Yes, the very pretty one, yes. Yep, mm-hmm. Keisha. I mean, yeah, gorgeous with a horrible haircut. <laughs> and out, her, her outfit. They were she's, <laughs> she's wearing oh, like God, that yeah. lime green, like jumper suit. At one point, track oh, suit. Oh, and that oversized hat with a <laughs> large brim. Something that you would see the band Len wear. Remember Steal My Sunshine? Oh, yeah. Like, they would definitely be wearing that on the back of that moped. Yes. She looks like she's straight off of the set of, like, a community theater production of Oliver. Like, she, she, she and she's also, she has a point where they're standing on a, where she's standing on a picnic table next to her boyfriend. And I, this girl is roughly, like, four foot one. Yes. I've never seen such a petite woman in, in playing such a strong, angry role before. She's got a Napoleon complex. But she's quite a bitch. She's very unlikable. And her line delivery, it leaves something to be desired. It sounds dumbed. I feel like she was hired because she looked like a mini Halle Berry. I mean, (laughs) you know what? Not everyone is going to be the best actor. She's truly beautiful. She plays the ultimate mean girl. I wanted her to go meaner, frankly, a lot meaner, but they left that up to rapey one and rapey two. So, yeah, I feel like Keisha maybe almost had more dialogue in the original script. Cause if you watch some of the dramatic sequences and I'm not trying to be a dick, but I think maybe acting was not her forte. Uh, I think she, I wonder if they cut. I was thinking lines. the same thing. Yeah, I I was thinking the exact same thing because there are moments, especially in the hotel room. Yep. Uh, she say a I word. thought no. I'm like, okay, she was just like wanting to kick everyone's ass f- five minutes ago in the locker room, and now she's in the room with the girl that confronted her and is barely saying anything. And when she sees what's going on with Tamara, she, you would think she'd be all giddy about it and like egging it on and she just like sits there and doesn't say a word but we're getting ahead yeah. of ourselves well, that scene. and that and her i would say overall like her lack of dialogue and key scenes and the fact that a lot of her lines genuinely i feel like 80 percent of her lines sound awkwardly dubbed makes me mm. think that maybe they had some they had some i think they may have had some um issues possibly with getting the performance they needed meanwhile speaking of strange voices i do need to say that jenna duan does sound at all times, like an Elzin princess. <laughs> um, she, she doesn't. She doesn't sound real. She, she, it's, a, it's like always it's a, up. It in is her really. Nose. He, it is in that nasal cavity <laughs> because again, I hate to keep on bringing up. She's done other things besides this Lifetime movie. She made them do it. Twenty thirteen Lifetime Movie Network. But her, it is nowhere near that nasal sound by that time. And things that you've seen after this. So this is definitely, I think this is only her, what, first or second movie? You know? It's too bad, yeah. I think it was filmed around the same time. Or, well, it it was probably filmed around the same time as Step Up or a little bit after and released a year later. And Step Up, she just really, I mean, I hate to say this, Step Up is Channing Tatum's movie. I hate that he hijacked it, but he kind of hijacks it from her because he has so much damn charisma. Mm. Okay, moving on. And <laughs> 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 the hot thinking of Channing Tatum. Mm. Exactly right. If that, but the kids already don't like her, but 
like what motivates them now even more to treat her like a major shit is that she writes an article uh, that gets in the school newspaper that the teacher, okay, I have a problem with this. He should, the teacher should have known better than to allow that article to be printed on the front page of the school. He had to have known the backlash it was going to cause. And it's almost like you're, you're a fucking dick. Like you, you know that she's already kind of an outcast and you see how she's treated by these jock guys. And you're going to be like, oh yeah, let's put your article about how they're all doing steroids. Let's put it front and center on front of the school newspaper. Yay. There we go. You're look at you. You're such a wonderful writer. Well, of course it pisses them off. I mean, she, she basically names them as being all right. on steroids. And what set me off a little bit with this, and this might be because I was, I was the editor of her school newspaper and Mr. Mr. Novotny says something that really irks me when he's, he essentially makes it sound like, well, you know how it works. You won the, it makes it sound like a contest. You, you wrote the best article. So you got the front page and I go, this isn't what type of, one horse town are we in? That this is how the editorial process. No, goes to the news editor. Is Mr. Novotny the also the news editor? You know, whatever. That I'm splitting hairs here, but it it did irritate me. Setting her up for failure, setting her up for more abuse. Yeah, yeah. He's feeding the fire. He's feeding the fire. But for some reason, she's still smitten with him. That's her only friend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, well, uh, the next scene in the locker room, uh, short haired girl, what's Keisha. her name? Keisha, Keisha conf- confronts her and like throw calls her a dog, ugly dog, and throws a towel at her. And then the good girl does step in. Chloe, the, the character of Chloe, steps in. And I do like this because Chloe is like, hey, listen, bitch, I'm making this my business now. You back off. You got something to say? I don't think so. Leave. And but but that's never really explored very well in the movie in terms of like their that they form some it, sort of friendship. Not. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like it's like it's that one scene and then the scene at the motel when she sees um Chloe there and just automatically screams, I trusted you. Why would you trust her? You haven't done anything with her. She stuck up for you one time in the locker room like you but have no could, relationship they, they, i think this was just a tiny flashback just a tiny flashback of one incident you're gonna start us off with a fantasy montage a sexual montage between this Ugh. teacher and tamara but you can't give me like 30 seconds of like maybe a situation that happened when they were in like fourth grade you know they're out for give coffee or something. Yeah, they they go out for coffee. they go out for coffee in the fourth grade. <laughs> in the fourth grade, why not? Why not? Why not? Um, but I do. I gotta say, you know, pretty early in, I I knew to lower my expectations with with Tamara, and I knew to really not expect a lot in the sense of character development and and believability. And um, I think that what we get out of the character Chloe, even that, I'm shocked we got it. Uh, and it ain't much, but you know what? She's trying and. Um, and is she paper thin? Yes, but is she genuine and well intentioned? Sure, and I'll take it. In the sense of a of a of a final girl kind of, you know, baseline concept. As much as we're going to get from one in a movie like Tamara, but yeah, no, she's she's a likable uh, alternate female lead. I'll say that. Yeah, and then uh, out in the hallway, of course, the jocks see her, see Tamara, and yell at her and start chasing her. She runs into Mister Natoli's classroom, 
And this is when you do get a nice little compassionate exchange between the two of them. And he's, he's being very compassionate towards her. And he's using these literary quotes to appease her and saying things like, just remember this too shall pass. And she's like, Oh, are you trying to use literary terms to make me feel better? And he's like, yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. And then she goes in and tries to kiss him. And he responds exactly the way a teacher should respond in that situation. Yes. Yes. He backs the fuck away. <laughs> backs away wide-eyed the only issue here is that short-haired short-haired girl sees keisha sees from the hallway silently because they cut all her fucking lines but she's she's, her eyes are saying it her eyes are darting this way and that they are and she's quick to tell too she's quick to tell her her uh creepy friends raper one and raper two and uh the guys in us are shit. <laughs> so my uh, one thing that we should mention too that like it matters, but when she wrote the article, there was already suspicions by the administration apparently about this steroid use. But it's kind of the final nail. It's got final the final cataclysmic event for them to come in and start searching lockers. So that is the that is where the true anger is coming from, um, from these head <laughs> male guys, rapey one and rapey two. One is Roger. You remember these names, or or Tori? You it's Patrick. It's and Patrick, Patrick and Sean. And Sean. Sean with yeah, the beady eyes. Patrick, the one who is dosing the girls with the pills. They're great and guys. and taking them to hotel rooms and raping them. Yeah, exactly. All American. All American boys, right? <laughs> and the one is just so fucking, I need to emphasize, he's so hairy for his age. <laughs> They're both like not, I was thinking, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to have like these like jocks, okay, in a film that are supposed to be like desirable, cast better looking guys. Cause these two guys are n- pretty homely. I agree. I only, lo- I only was attracted really to nerdy Roger and Justin Bieber hair. You know who I yeah. think of. Yeah, Roger, Nerdy Roger, is a, who's a character that comes into play simply for, I mean, uh, uh, as a plot device, really, you know. I have a problem with what happens to Nerdy Roger, and we, we'll get there. Oh. We will get there, but I do got to say, he's by far the most attractive of the men, and they're trying really hard yes. to not make him attractive, but even by putting him in that fitted polo, jeez, that body is kicking. Mm-hmm. And um, and they don't. They do a really weird job of casting people in the roles because none of them really look the way I would envision these characters to look, other than Tamara, because she's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, and then when she leaves Mister Natoli's room, she gets confronted by uh, Sean and Patrick in the locker room, and they basically get in her face and like are really aggressive, push her up against the locker, and it's mm-hmm. like, "You're gonna get yours, bitch! You you trailer trash whore!" They're called. And I'm like, and I feel so bad for her. I mean, like, God, they're such assholes to her. And um, the guy, she drops her necklace and Patrick steps on it and breaks it. And I just, uh-huh. they're just assholes. Yep. Like, and then not to mention after this scene, she goes home. And not only are these fucking two rapists horrible to her, her fucking dad is a creep. <laughs> Her dad's also apparently a rapist. So it's not even really, right. you don't know it uh, until they bring it up as like a plot point. But this father fits every like trope of a drunk, rapey father you, you need. I mean, you guys um, had pedophile just, stuff last week and now pedophile stuff this week. It's a theme. It's our Two theme. Two weeks in a row. It's our theme, pedophile. 
<laughs> this, uh, yeah, this, this month's theme is tender files. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> tune in next week, guys. <laughs> Can't wait. But um, but yeah, no, this father really like he uh, his, and you know his performance is not bad. But just like what you said earlier, um, Teresa, about uh, the relationship between Chloe and Tamara and, and wanting more, I honestly wanted more. I didn't want any of the pedophilia, <laughs> but I wanted to see more of the abuse and like the manipulation with them. You know what I right. mean? I wanted to see more of, cause it seemed like he really, uh, some of the things he does say to her, there's so much more room to expand on that and develop that toxic relationship so that you feel more vindicated, validated uh, when, when she does finally break. Um, and, and I think because they, they are really thin on the, the, the development between these relationships, some of these bigger moments don't hit as hard as they could once you get further into the film. Because they do unve- unveil during this interaction between, and her father's an alcoholic and very angry, but then he has these moments kind of of tenderness. And then he says something about her mother, who's no longer with them, and infers that, correct me if I'm wrong, she's dead, correct? Or, she, or she's left them. She left them. I think she. she yeah, so he's resentful. Them, so yeah. it's mm-hmm. not a death thing. Them. So all of this anger is going towards um going towards Tamara now. Tamara's like reminding um him more and more of her as well. And then something is because Tamara has her grimery, her like uh spell book with her, which <laughs> of course gets knocked about in the classroom by rapey one and rapey two, because you gotta make like who fucking makes fun of witches? But like when her when her dad sees that, her dad sees that and he's like makes some offhand remark about how her essentially her mother dabbled in this. So right then you're like, mmm, something's running in the family. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, yeah. At least they do set up a little bit of that in this like I mean like you know, this movie moves at a pretty fast pace. Um, and at, at times they'll skimp on certain details, but at least like they do establish like the who's, the what's, and the why's. So for that, you know, alone, it does fine. And I, I, you know, it really isn't until we get about towards the halfway point that things pick up. When they do, listeners, don't you worry, it fucking picks up. But at this point, we're really getting a lot of the exposition of, of why things take the turn the way they do. And it is a lot of very Carrie-like early exposition. It really is. You use the right term, Troy. I do have that noted here several times myself. It takes a very Carrie approach to Tamara and who she is and why she is the way she is. Um, and so uh, 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 Tamara is very um, beaten down at this point. You know, she um, uh, she's feeling very defeated, especially because of the whole situation with the teacher, Bill. Um, and so she starts to become a bit vengeful. And she basically makes a comment in a very uncomfortable manner. I'll make you love me. And uh, <laughs> she launches into a, a ritual that is literally a montage of every ritual trope, every trope. Yeah. I've ever <laughs> seen. You, you've got incense, hair, a book of spells, candles, lighting ca- candles and wax, wax, from said candles. There's a book of the book of spells with the incantation. She recites the Correct. incantation. Then there's a knife, blood work, and then the knife. Yeah, the whole all the of whole the shebang. alchemy is there. Yeah. It's all there. But what can't she yeah. do? And what she's she, she can't follow through. She, well, she's trying to 
um, she's trying to put the love spell out there. Mm -hmm. So she's doing all the proper incantation. She has the alchemy. She has all of that stuff. But what she can't do is spill her own blood, which she has that. Is that a scythe? Good. <laughs> there was like a. I mean, the fact that she was it's allowed like to have, first off in the Padone household, uh, Santo Padone is not allowing even one tea candle being burnt. She has the the fire hazard in that bedroom with the alcoholic father. <laughs> I mean, this place is going to go up in flames at any moment. Um, but she has to cut her hand, cut some part of her body to add her blood to part of this entire spell and she can't do it and she's pretty much like still a chicken she says something it's not is that a reference to no, what is, she what is that roger she says something like, like oh, not a swan like, like <laughs> no not like i didn't have the guts to follow through <laughs> oh i think like, that she was still like still a chicken like, <laughs> like she's laughing Oh no, that is the spell she is going for to become a chicken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the bravery to go the last step. No, she doesn't. Really, she she oh. actually says some witch. That's, That's what thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or still oh a chicken. I like still a chicken better. I think we should. If there's a remake to this, that the line's being changed to still a chicken. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> still a chicken. Your live, my live theatrical performance of this. Oh, I can't wait to cast this. Treese is doing a one woman show of Tamara, guys. One night only. Get tickets while you can. I'm playing every um, fucking role. <laughs> Original oh songs God. and choreography also by me. Costumes by Roger. <laughs> <laughs> the costumes in this, by the way, only yeah. get better. It is very 2005. It is straight out of an Avril Lavigne music video, and I love it. And speaking of costumes, this next scene coming up is the scene with that big fucking hat. <laughs> God, I... I <laughs> well, well, we 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 missed this setup. The, the guy, in the meantime, uh, the two guys are planning a. They're planning to play yeah. a trick on her. Much like Carrie, you have to have an yeah. elaborate prank. So the elaborate prank that the guys are playing is that they know that Tamara Tamara <laughs> Tamara, Tamara loves the Mister Natoli, and so somehow. They get a voice changer as a scream, apparently. This is Roger. Well, this is when Roger comes in, all the tech stuff. That's why they That's why they have to get Roger to be part of the group. Yeah. Because he has a voice changer. Okay. Yeah. And all the audio because equipment. A, a voice a voice calling her that sounds exactly like Mr. Natoli. So this must be the best voice changer ever created. Yeah. Calls her and is like, I love oh, you. I too love much emotion. You. It is so flat. It's like, <laughs> I love you. I want to be with you. She's like, okay. <laughs> I was like, come to the CD motel without any questions whatsoever. Take all your clothes off in the, the room. What the fuck, Tamara? <laughs> well, I mean, listen, she's a bit naive. I give her, I, the poor girl, look at her life. You know, with the, with those frizzy bangs. I mean, she's got a hard one. That's all she's got yeah. is the hope of falling in love with this teacher. And of course he's given into it or else the story wouldn't move forward. But listen, they've got a layer of static over the phone as well. And that yeah. it makes it hard for her to hear it. They do. She does have that bit of dialogue. Like, I can't hear you. You're not Mr. Natoli. Um, but even that, I'm like, but how exactly did they do it? You know, but you know what? Weak plot devices aside. 
We went with we'll it. We'll go yeah. with it. It's We've seen it so many times before. Every aspect of this movie. Have I seen it before? Yes. Have I seen it done better? Yes. Have I seen it in this specific order with Jenna Dewan in short denim skirts? No. So it works. Um, but so she agrees. She agrees to meet Mr. Natoli at the seediest motel ever. <laughs> And of course, it's not Mr. Natoli. It is the guys along with Roger and the Chloe and her boyfriend that just shows up out of nowhere. What's his name? Je- no, um, the, the explanation for Jesse's arrival is literally there. He's from California. He's from California, and they're coming up with like this. They're they're like hatching the plan, and they're like, "Guys, this is going to be fun." And he comes up behind them. He's like, "Oh, dude, please tell me you just said the word fun." fun. And I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, this is the weakest <laughs> introduction for a character. <laughs> like, you had nothing better than just having him be like, did you say fun? I like fun. <laughs> I'm from California. It's, it's, and he's like, yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so that's the introduction to that character. And apparently he's dating Chloe. Like, apparently they're kind of a thing. And there is really no reason for those two to act. All be showing up at Rapey One and Ra- at, at this little get together with the Rapey brothers. And no, cons- considering the fact that you would think that these two guys would not want a lot of people to know what they were doing, right. they're going to bring the girl in that literally earlier that day stood up for Tamara and was like, got in short haired bitch's face about it. You're going to let her come in the room and you're going to still do this prank and not think that nobody's going to say anything about it. But again, these are two guys that d- drug women and rape them. So I guess they're maybe not thinking. Right. It, just makes no, it just makes no sense that they were there. Like there's no reason for them to be there. I just, I kept wondering like, wh- are these guys that stupid that they're going to do this prank in front of just these random people? I feel that that is a little bit more, I mean, her character is fucking thin, but I think Keisha's involvement is more than anything, the reason for Chloe to come because they have that confrontation in the bathroom where they really get at it. And then Keisha kind of manipulates it to be like, yeah, I want you to come. We're going to have fun. But really Keisha's just as bad as the two guys, you know, Keisha, if anything, I think she wants Chloe to be attached to it, to, to make her feel like shit seeing what they're going to be doing to poor Tamara. It's kind you know? of like witnessing a mob hit. Now mm. you're part of it. You're and part of mm-hmm. You can't go and narc me out yeah. because you were there and now it's going to be my word against yours that of your level of involvement. Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I mean, that's Absolutely. really... Yeah, it's association. Yeah, It's, an, it's yeah. an totally mob hit. Um, I will say something. Well, I think Rapey 1 and Rapey 2, especially the one that is very angry about it with the BDIs, um, Eric, the Eric character, I think they're very performative. They've been doing stuff like this for years. They have been assaulting girls probably. They're the type of guys that, you know, are assaulting girls at parties and they're videotaping it and showing it to all their friends. So them having having a group of people in another room is like something that gets both of them off. They love this type of performative assault theater, essentially. And that's what this is with her. I will say I was shocked that she had um, like a matching, essentially Victoria's Secret Bandu bra and lace panties. They did, she would definitely have like some Walmart level sad underwear. And I'm not judging her. I'm not, 
but she can't afford the those pieces of lace finery unless those were her mother's. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, unless you're, if you're not gathering it, basically they set up this ploy <laughs> to lure Tamara with all of her lustful feelings for, for Bill, the teacher. They set up a ploy to, to get her to come to the seedy motel um, in which they're in the next room over and they set up a camera, which they procure through the nerd Roger, who they somehow convinced to be involved, even though he even said, he's like, I'm very confused why you'd want to befriend me in these, circum- <laughs> these circumstances. Like his dialogue is very awkward and robotic. But um, so they're all, the gang's all here and they're all watching. And um, and yeah, I agree with you, Teresa. I think what they plot to do is very much along the lines of, it's more humiliating for her because the volume of people watching Absolutely. it is greater, you know? And they, I just, it, I just have this really strong feeling um, that they've done these types of things before. Well, the, the way they set it up, I mean, they, they go, they go, it's a very elaborate plan. Yeah. So yeah they, they, I mean, they have, they, they, he goes into the next room, puts flowers on the bed. He is in the bathroom with the shower on. And we're talking about Sean uh, pretending to be Mr. Natoli. She, they tell her to get undressed and I think it's funny that like the guy they're, they're in the other room watching this on TV, including Chloe. Okay. Uh-huh. And you, she can't tell right away that it's Tamara. Like you're watching. They, they tell her. They it's tell a stripper. Them but it's, a stripper. It's obviously yeah. t- uh, you, when you go to school with this girl. It's her. Like, how are you? Right. You're sitting there watching and you're like, oh, that's, t- isn't that, doesn't she look familiar? No, they're like, oh, it's a stripper. Okay. But um, it's clearly Tamara and they're acting like they have no idea who it is. But anyways, she's gets in bed naked pretty much while she's in her underwear and bra. And he comes out of the bathroom. He's like, tell me you love me. And she's like, I love you. And he comes out and is like, ah, starts attacking her, gets the camera in her face. And it's like, oh, you dumb, ugly bitch. It's you. you." And she realizes it's, it's a prank. Well, the others watch in horror. Well, Roger and Chloe watch in horror. Um and Jesse, Jesse and is, Jesse. Is a good guy. I like Jesse. Yeah. Jesse seems just yeah. kind of more befuddled than anything. Yeah, like I'm not yeah. sure where for I'm like, at ever. Yeah, for like a solid minute, they just watch in awe, being like, "What's happening?" Um, right. Though I gotta say, listen, when Tamara drops that frumpy dress, um, that body is insane, and immediately, I, 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 you can try to make fun of this girl all you want. And try to make her feel uncomfortable. She's instantly hotter than anybody else. Oh she's my god! Oh, yeah. By like fifty <laughs> points. Not that we're on a point system here, but what the fuck? All you had to do was brush her hair and put lipstick on and put a fitted shirt on her. I mean, this was not a lot of lot more work. Brush hair, lipstick, fitted shirt, red bra. Done and done. <laughs> um. But so the plot begins to unfold and then instantly uh, everyone kind of like jumps to action and Chloe's grabbing Keisha and saying, where is she? And in the commotion, Tamara runs from the room uh, just as Chloe kind of busts out of their separate hotel room. And and Tamara, the first thing she sees is Chloe standing there and instantly just loses her shit. She thinks she's involved before Chloe really has time to explain what's going on. And she just starts attacking Chloe. Yeah, she runs. That's what that's what I was saying. She like screams at her, I trusted you. And again, it goes back to why would you trust her? You don't even know her. She stuck up for you one time. I don't understand why where all this hostility is coming from towards Chloe. Especially when she runs and she actually literally like charges Chloe into the hotel room 
and she sees all the other people in there. I, I would think when she got in the room and she saw like Patrick, that's the one I would start attacking. He's the, obviously he's in on, but she like throws Chloe on the bed and like starts punching her in the face. And so I'll say when I was in high school, I, I remember specifically having a moment where like a, a pretty cruel prank was played on me and I went into a blind rage and I like, and this is uh, the only time I remember this happening, but I was so embarrassed and upset that I just lost my shit. And, um, and I think this is a moment where she literally is so insulted and angered and hurt and all these feelings and emotions. And she's probably 16, you know, and, um, is just acting on impulse, you know, and this is a moment when she says that I trusted you. Like, I do believe the idea that there's nobody else who's even nice to her. So from that alone, she would think, I mean, can't anybody be kind to me? Can't anyone be fucking kind to me? Apparently not. You know? Yeah. She lashes out and she has Chloe on the bed and the two guys, Jesse and Patrick grab her off. And she actually like is able to knock Patrick into the, or knock Jesse into the fucking end table. He goes flying 50 feet into the end table. So she has some pretty, powerful strength uh jesse grab yeah jesse grabs her uh or i'm sorry patrick grabs her and um she's going wild and she bites him and of course he reacts by throwing her off of him and she flies into the coffee table the end table and the corner of it and smashes her head and she's dead yeah, it's pretty um pretty brutal. It is pretty brutal. I mean that that prank sure got out of hand really quick. And very similar to um, a movie such as Cabin Fever, nobody wants to take accountability, and we all want to bury the situation immediately. Yeah, one word of wisdom, you know, one word of consciousness being Chloe, pretty much. Um, Jesse's kind of quiet and just scared. And the rest of them are like, uh, bury the body. I mean, it's barely even a conversation. It's very briefly touched on before they all agree that the right decision is to bury the body. It's very reminiscent of a, dare I bring it up again, Sorority Row remake. Or, I mean, yeah, I was thinking Uh, that, or I know what you did last summer. I mean, it's it's the same Mm -hmm. sort of thing where you're trying to, you have a, a whole group that's basically on board with something that's, we know it's not a good idea from horror movie trope standpoint. And there's trying to be that one voice of reason that ultimately gets convinced to go, go ahead with it. And that that's Chloe because even Jesse at one point's like, dude, she scratched me. Like, like my DNA is going to be under her yeah. fingernails. So, I mean, that that's not going to look good. So we might as well do this and just not talk about it anymore. And that's what they do. They take her out in the middle of the woods and, um, bury her and i'm wondering how how often has this actually happened it's probably happened way more than we yeah i think of whenever i see these teenage oriented not just horror movies but like thrillers i'm like especially with even though these teenagers don't look like teenagers that age i always believe it more than even an adult of making a decision that rash because you are told, especially starting at the age of 15, 16, that every single thing that you do is going to be on some type of record that reflects if you're going to the next step, whether it be college or something else. And what you do right now is going to define every single thing in your life. And you believe it. 
So these two rapey guys who are already under suspicion for steroid use and are freaking out because they might not get their scholarships, they're not going to have any sympathy for this relationship at all. They're completely selfish already to begin with. And they're, you know, they're like moving on. She's a non, a non-person to us. We're just going to get rid of the situation. Nobody, nobody will miss Tamara. That's another thing. Like she has no friends. She's a loner. She's this. Yeah. I do think this is an example where if you would have actually had actors in the roles of the right age, a scene like this would read significantly more impactful because this is the decision that I, I agree with what you just said. I can see uneducated, scared 16-year-olds making a dumb fucking decision like this. But for some of these actors to be playing these roles where they do look like grown adults making this conscious decision impulsively to dispose of this body. Um, it does seem like a rash decision. I mean, yeah, she's bleeding profusely from the head. She is dead. There is a tape. DNA is under the nails. At least they go through all of the standard, again, the tropes, what you'd expect. But um, yeah, they, they, they make that decision within a matter of seconds. And uh, before you know it, they're digging a hole in the middle <laughs> of the woods. They have the whole dog and they they bury her. And then there is just this weird transitional scene that I think could have been done without. And it is after they bury her, uh, they look down and like her body's gone. And she comes up behind the one guy, rips his throat out uh, and chases, chases what's his name down and breaks his neck and then she goes after chloe and then it just cuts yeah. to this was a dream it was chloe's dream yeah i think they're pretty desperate to add in a sequence of of suspense gore and horror because at this point you are significant you're you're a good chunk of the way into the movie and you have had you've had nothing you know you've had nothing do you guys have not to get off any type of tangent but do you guys have examples of horror movies that you love when they do. Uh, we've seen this before in different thrillers, horror movies, and what have you. And some people have succeeded better than others of that's a dream or this was somebody's hallucination or something along those lines. Something to get you to the ne- to like a next pivotal part of the scene. Do you guys have any any movies that you think do this well? To be expected, but uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street sequences where they transition to like the early ones where Nancy waking up in the classroom and everything, falling asleep at yes. the desk. Uh, some of those moments are used intentionally to, to uh, amplify like the character's state of mind and what they're thinking internally and, and everything. I think this was kind of just an awkward way to, like I said, bring some violence and horror into the movie. Um, and um I think maybe just to skim past the time frame and just get to the next day. There's some weird pacing decisions made throughout the course of this film. Yeah, Troy, what do you think about that too? With like also the pacing on this, because <laughs> it's like okay, now where where are we at next day? What day is it? Two days after? I was like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I don't. I think the I think the this transition especially is very confusing and can read as being very confusing because in my mind it might mislead the audience to think that the whole thing was a dream. Yeah, yeah, 
if you're just going to throw this random dream sequence in that has the first violent uh, sequences in the film and it ends up being a dream, then in my mind, I'm like, oh shit, okay, so they're going to pull this dream thing. Is this whole movie going to be a dream or was this whole encounter with Terramer uh, at the motel a dream? What was it really a dream or not? But we don't know because you just did this ridiculous transition that it wasn't necessary. You could have just went to the next day where they're at school you know they're looking they're looking at each other awkwardly that alone lets us know that there are there's tension they're still very uh, right. iffy about what happened i don't think you needed that whole thing um, i agree it it seems really just out of nowhere and uh because it ends up being, it ends up being chloe's dream and she wakes up and the only reason we get a we get to know that okay so they must have really they must have really buried her, but what we just saw was a dream is because she has the bruises on her arms from where Tamara grabbed her still. Uh, and then they get to school the next day, and they are you can just tell by the way they interact with each other that they're all like really freaked out. They're they're staring at her empty desk, they're looking at each other, they're looking at her empty desk. Yeah. Um and at this point, I do need to bring up the comment. How many times do we think? Diablo Cody got stoned off her ass and watched this movie before <laughs> writing the script for Jennifer's body. Because mm. I, I, I mean, <laughs> there are, she at least watched it three times. <laughs> stoned. I mean, she was so stoned. Well, the looks, the look, there are very similar um, costuming choices in looks between Jenna DeWan oh, yeah. and Megan Fox. Mm-hmm. I will say that. But it's also that, that era of like the inverted flat stomach a la Britney Spears early 2000s and like shrunken baby tea, peekaboo bra. I mean, it's a whole thing. It's yeah. I mean, it's me yeah. girls, as you said. It's that it's things girls actually could never wear to a high school and, and get away with it. They would be removed from the school. They would be told they have to go home and change. I remember. I remember high school. You know, Correct. Troy. You're living, you're living it. Yeah, you wouldn't wear it. You would not be able to. All wear you that. see are she showed up. girls in, in hoodies and sweatpants and moccasins. <laughs> <laughs> but she showed. Okay, so the kids are the kids are in their English class, and she they're they're concerned. They're looking at the. Some of them look remorseful, except what's his name? Sean doesn't looks like he doesn't really give a shit. But no. Chloe finishes her little test early and she goes out into the hallway and she drops something, and all of a sudden we see a foot in a high heel step on it crunch it and we look up and it is tamara and she has completely had a makeover which consists of just a short skirt a white shirt with a red bra sticking out of it and her hair is done now Teresa, costume costume and makeup notes go red heels which is okay um that's a choice for that i would never never choose really for anything with school it's so stripper height it was it's so stripper school school girl i was a little disappointed in that at least give me a stacked loafer um <laughs> give me a stacked loafer don't give me a high heel don't give me a hooker high heel how did this happen i know she is a full witch the blood the blood got on the part of the spell i get it i get it uh-huh. you're smart enough but the clothes this is not wonder woman she did not spin 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 and here is her costume. Did she go somewhere? Did she kill five people to get this costume? Did she dig herself out of that <laughs> that yes. very that hole, the, sh- the shallow hole, Correct. and just 
the first thing she did before, because there's not, there's a limited time frame. She got killed at night and they have to go to school the next morning. Did she dig herself out of the hole and go shopping immediately? She did not shop. She killed some teens from the town over. Like first thing she did, just an anger kill. Did that, took all their makeup. They're like Jeffree Star fucking palettes. She's doing it all. <laughs> I think showered probably after she kills the entire family. And she's like, oh, I've always wanted red heels. She's not like a fashion maven. She's been living, living with the pedo father. She doesn't know. She doesn't know. Yeah, it's her. It's in her head what I think what she thinks sexy is. And it's so gratuitous. It's very over the top. She looks sexy, though. I just. She does. I just wanted the stack loafer. That's all I'm saying. Like, if this was Project <laughs> Runway, it'd be like the stacked loafer would be even hotter because it's not hot. Get it? And she would then kill me, you know. <laughs> well, well, not only does she have a uh, fashion makeover, she has an attitude makeover. Oh, she does. Because now she, this bitch is confident. She is uh, sarcastic. She is confrontational. Um, so, yeah. One-liners left and right, which yeah. is also what I like. She did not have that charm and that comic time timing before. Like her witchcraft is giving her charm and comic timing. Give me that spell. Okay, give me some of that witch God, get me some of that witchcraft. And hot. And hot. Yeah, and when she walks into the classroom, everyone's like the guy the people that were involved in her death are like, what the fuck? They're like looking at each other and she just sits down. She walks in, she's like, I'm sorry I'm late. I just had a horrible weekend. I almost, <laughs> I almost died getting here. Uh, that's my Jenna Duan voice. I don't. Oh my know. god, I love that. It, I like it because it has a. It's kind of seeped in a little bit of Virginia. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, I just got here. I'm Jenna Duan. You like my red shoes? I'm a whiz and a hoe. <laughs> but I mean, because she's listening, she's aching for that teacher, and now she's just putting it all out there. Oh, well, she, she stays after class to apologize. And she's like, I'm sorry. I was just not feeling myself. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she's Miss Pity Pat from Gone with the Wind. Like, she has a parasol. Right. <laughs> like, a and a parasol. Well, the bustier is coming, Teresa. The bustier is coming. Oh, that's coming. That's And he's like, well, how are you feeling? She's like, oh, I'm perfect. Can't you tell? She's laying on thick. She's laying on so thick. And it's so different than how she acted before. I'm surprised he's not like more, more like concerned, aggressive about (laughs) questioning her. Like, what the hell happened yesterday? You were in a uh, jean skirt and a floral blouse that was ten times too big for you. Now you're in this. What's going (laughs) on? Now your entire outfit is from wet steel from head to toe. Gap kids, gap kids or wet seal. Plus your hair is brushed again and shiny. How did you get your hair brushed shiny with red lipstick? You have teeth. I mean, there'd be like so many questions. Did you wish you missing them? I mean, she was pretty homely, but. Oh, the tendrils in front of her face, hiding her face when she was awkwardly flirting with her teacher, but still wanting to kiss him. No, she. Yeah, she, I like it. She was very, very Samara Morgan, and now she's very glamorous. And she, but she's also very foreboding. And she leaves his room <laughs> uh, with a note of suspicion, and he is obviously somewhat uh, thrown off by her new energy. Um, and that new energy is uh, 
pretty blunt and in the faces of everybody who's aware of what's going on. Uh, the last one to really find out about what's going on is Roger, because he is alone in the audio visual room. I feel like that that must be the only place he is at in the, the whole school day. He just stays in this little audio. He doesn't have to go to he doesn't have to go to class. He just sits in the audio visual video room. It looked it, very state of the art. By it the way. did for two thousand. If yeah, holy was like, shit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that AV room was like, and he's the only one who's allowed to work there. Apparently, yeah. yeah. As you he, said, he's there all day. Roger is exempt. From all classes because <laughs> of his AV. But he's so fucking good at it. That's why he has 40 TVs stacked around him. He has 40 TVs. <laughs> and they literally all start playing the video of the confrontation from the night before. Oh, I like Yeah, that. it was a good. Very careful. It was good. It was good. He can't shut it off. And he realizes there's not even a tape in the VCR that's that's playing it. And um, as he's trying to stop it, there it's a moment where... Chloe says something about um, she can't be dead, can she? And then all of a sudden you hear Tamara's, Tamara's voice say, Ro- I, can't, I don't know, Roger, can I? And she's standing right next to him. Uh. Yeah. And this scene, okay, this is a disgusting scene. Yeah. It's, oh really, my God. It, it's really gross. It really makes you cringe. From, I mean, from this point until his actual death, everything that happens to him is very vile and disgusting. Uh, she is basically starts talking about how it feels to be buried alive. And she's like, well, first of all, you start your, you, you, your hands get all cut up because you're cl- trying to claw your way out of the dirt. And he looks down at his hands and they're all bloody. And, um, and then she's like, Oh yeah. And then she's like, and then you can feel the insects eating you alive. And all of a sudden he looks at his arm and like a bunch of earthworms just bust out of it. And then she's like, and then you start suffocating on the dirt and he starts coughing up uh dirt out of his mouth um it's still it's gross it's really the worm shit is really gross yeah yeah Um, it's a very uh well done sequence though you know pretty quick once it gets to this death it takes a while getting to it once you have this first death that they're not going to skimp on like the the wow factor um uh, and i will say like a good amount of the deaths throughout the course of this film are pretty effective so they started on a strong note um and and they and they, they, and they draw it out like there are so many levels to this what is building up to be a kill um mm-hmm. because after she has this whole moment where she basically makes him hallucinate and think all of this stuff is happening she takes control of him tamara you start yeah. you start to see really what her powers are and she has a full power of control and persuasion over people and she compelling yeah it's yeah compelling people exactly and she basically has him uh project himself onto all the tvs he turns on the tv systems the recording sta- he's in the recording station you know for the audiovisual department a thing only he knows how to yes. do but but him and tamara now tamara can do it because of witchcraft thank god for witchcraft but he's the only one who knows how to do it in an organic way right mm. <laughs> and um <laughs> And he, the TVs come on uh, throughout the school and he starts reciting this monologue and there's this really cool moment where he's talking and it cuts to a shot of her strutting down the hallway, reciting the dialogue that he's saying word for word, showing that she has full control over him. It's a really well handled sequence. Nice puppet master situation going on there. Oh God, it's so visceral though. The sounds, I'll be honest with you guys. 
because he starts to destroy himself. And when I say that he starts to, he's starting to, for the school to see, you know, because they have televisions in all of these rooms, big budget at this school, um, very fancy school, but um, whatever. He starts to like cut off an ear. He starts to, it's like a hear no evil, say no evil. It's all the, yeah, then his eye, then he like stabs his eye out. And it's the sound, it's that visceral sound. I, it's, to me, it's not as much of the act. It's the hearing what something going into a membrane sounds like. And I could not watch. This was the only scene that I was like, I mean, I've seen some gross horror in movies. Yeah. But this, I could not look at it. Yeah, it is the he because he even says, you know, I I, I hear no evil, and then it, it and it takes him a long time. It's not like oh. quick. he's like sawing his ear off for like yes. thirty seconds, and he's like speak no evil, and he's sawing his tongue out for like thirty, and it's blood's coming everywhere, and then the final one is see no evil, and he like literally plunges the razor box cutter into his eyeball, and just it looks so realistic. He collapses right away, and Mister Natoli's trying to get in and can't get in it in to save him. Um, okay, this is my question. What puzzles me about um, hot nerd Roger? Of, I know that Tamara's ability at this time to discern between who is the worst out of them is limited, or is it? This is my one one of my questions. But because obviously she identifies Chloe as a enemy even though chloe is not an enemy because she missed seeing something that happened before she got killed so of all of the men at least of the men um you know nerdy but hot roger is so much along for the ride in this situation you know what i mean in the just the death that she <laughs> the way she compels him to um, commit suicide is so extensive compared to, I look at someone like Rapey 1 and Rapey 2 who truly are her like, and Keisha who have terrorized her. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I mean, I guess it, I guess the question is, it depends on if you, which level of horror do you think is worse uh -huh. that somebody would do to you? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I, I I guess I guess the situation fits the person because once we get to rapey one and rapey two, um, we can argue that that would be the worst thing for them possible. Yeah, she takes a different route with them. I think once well, uh, that's the one thing. That's the one thing, and we will get to it with this movie. But this that's that's kind of where it loses me. Uh, I think is at this point. Um, it is because, like you mentioned, the character of Roger is like the least deserving of that sort of horrific, brutal, extensive death. And why of all yeah. the people that she wants to kill first, would she go after him and then essentially let everyone else live? Because she really, if think about it, she does not kill anybody else in this film. She, the rapey one and rapey two are not killed by her. No, um, just, nobody else is killed by her in this film. So it it, it kind of loses me because it's setting itself up really to be a 
kind of like a revenge flick. She's back to get revenge on these people that did this horrific thing to her. If it would have kept that momentum and it became a revenge film where she was doing the same horrific things to, uh, you know, um, Keisha, then I would have been on board. The film loses me now. And I'm I'm just going to say that because I don't like where I don't like the direction it takes where now instead of it becoming a revenge film, it becomes a, oh, it's a witch using people as a vessel to find the, to get the love of her life film. That's not what I signed up for when I started watching this (laughs) and it, 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 it played out as it started to play out as a revenge film. I it, it just lost me here. I'm going to say that I might be the minority here, but I'm getting that right out here that at this point, the film is lost. Me. I'm going to debate that a little bit. And we've yet to have this. I've never debated you, Troy, but I'm going to ha- debate from my angle on this. And I'm not, listen, am I saying that I think that Tamara is a piece of cinematic gold? Absolutely fucking not. Uh, however, I think he- I think there is a reasoning and a rationale be- behind why Roger is the first victim. And I think there's it's, a, it's several layers to the onion, dare I say. First, Roger is the weakest. And that is established right off the bat. He is uncomfortable. He's awkward. He is, um, uh, he's, when everything is happening with her, he balls up in the couch. And as soon as his whole situation with his um, scholarship comes up, he is, he's quick to jump on that instead of defending this girl, another nerd, mind you. Second, um, when she starts to tap into the reasons why she does what she does with the style of kill we have here, it is a suicide. She flashes to the fact that he is, he has a history of self mutilation. You see flashes of him cutting himself with a razor. And so she's using his own personal kind of torments to be his death. That's really horrible. I mean, that's a pretty awful way to take somebody out with that mentality. Third, he is used as a very specific tool to be kind of like a harbinger of doom, I think, for the others in the cast. And you notice he's the only one in the film that she doesn't use really as a vessel to do her bidding, other than his, you know, communicating this message, the the monologue that, she, that he gives. Uh, everybody else, at a certain point, she basically takes them over and has them do shit for her. Like, she's playing cat and mouse with the rest of them. This one, Roger... She disposes of him as soon as he is done giving that speech and he cuts off that tip of the tongue and it's disgusting. I've never seen a more realistic tongue cut in all my life, but um, I definitely think she just has no use for him because he's kind of pathetic. She even says that she's like, you're a, you're a loser. Like it is so dark and sick and manipulative, but it really, she has no further use for him. The ones she really wants to get to are the, are the, uh, the, the, the rapers and Keisha. I totally get, I totally understand your viewpoint. My only throwback on that is like all of a sudden if she, she's a witch, she can manipulate people to do what she wants. So regardless of whether Roger is weak or not, if he's under her spell, he's going to do what she wants, whether he succeeds or fail, he's still going to try to do it. So she could have used him to her advantage. I mean, think about it. The last 15 minutes of the film is a little four foot two 80 pound girl chasing people around the hospital. Like she's goddamn John Claude Van Damme. I mean, so (laughs) if she could have done, if she could make Keisha all of a sudden become this powerful, like superhero that can wield a fucking frying pan. Like she, like it's a goddamn nunchucks and she's a ninja. Then she could have done something with Roger besides make him mutilate himself. 
Yeah. And I'm not even saying that I, that's not even my point. My point is I just don't like the direction the film set up to be one thing. And then all of a sudden changes to something else, because to me, it's not interesting watching the two jock guys who I hate and wanted to see come to a horrible demise. It's not interesting to me watching them chase Miss Natalia around the house. That's just not yeah. interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. That was, <laughs> I mean, I wanted, yeah. I wanted a more straight up like revenge type film. Uh, yeah. And I mean, you get Mrs. Natoli takes out more fucking people in this movie than Tamara does. Come on. No shit. <laughs> Mr. Tolly is badass. He is. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. Like, there we are. are things. There are, <laughs> we are. Let, 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 after this sequence happens, and I have to say, the reactions to death in this movie are very understated. They, they are. People, they're like, oh, he killed himself. Oh, what a shame. Oh, and, they, and they're like talking about it, the cast, and they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I love that. And this is why I do feel she's very intentional with what she does with Roger, because she comes strutting right up to him and she's like, hey, guys. <laughs> what's up <laughs> and they're all like uh and she's like yep i killed him i'm gonna fuck you up too like it's basically like what she she you know she in so many words she basically implies right. like oh you're gonna be seeing a lot more of me mm-hmm. kind of situation yeah she's very much toying with them and i love it and you know what jenna dewan shines as a bitch i hate to say it but i like her she does she's a better as a bitch than she's better as a bitch than as a saccharine role or as a nice girl she shines give her better give her better content yeah give her some better bitch roles and i hate to say that i like tamara better as a pretty bitch than as a frumpy (laughs) insecure nerd but god i hope i would just hope she'd stay like this because she's more fun this way um (laughs) but so yeah she basically except for the murder she's a lot of fun she i i love her, her her love her transition from the frumpy nerd to this confident, like, yeah, confident bitch. Uh, and she's not afraid of any anymore. I mean, she's the one that's going up to them and confronting them now, which is kind of a nice change right. of, of pace. At this time, it is it, Patrick. Patrick is the only one that I think has some common sense because he is the one that's like, hey, remember, she was into witchcraft. Maybe this is like has something to do with it. And everyone's else like, you're a fucking idiot. What are you talking about? And he's like, well, <laughs> dude, look at her. I mean, obviously something... She was dead. She's alive now. Something's up. She was into witchcraft. Come on. So they go to the woods to look. They go back to where they buried her, which a any, anybody in true crime knows that's a big no, no. Do not go back to where you buried a body. But they but they do. Uh, and they 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 find a well, there is a, a funny little jump scare where her rotted head pops up real quick. It made me jump. It made me jump. It was pointless. It was pointless. Yeah. It made me jump. It was, yeah. It, it is the most shallow grave I've seen dug for a body. Like, I mean, how would someone not yeah. find this? It's it really is. obvious. They didn't try very hard. I guess they Yeah, because laying desperate. right on top of the grave is this bloody page from the spell that she took with her to the hotel. Like, they find, they have no problem finding It's laying right there, covered in blood. And she's like, oh, he's like, oh, look at this. It's right here. Um, so then they start, then they sort of do start to piece together that, hey, this it may be something more supernatural than what we what we think. Um, and then you get the scene where Tamara shows up at Mr. Natoli's house. Like he's, she is in his house. She doesn't even knock. She's just in his house. He's sitting on the couch. He's problematic. Yeah. yeah. It's already um, a problem. It's, he's, it's, he's already had a rough day, by the way. He was trying to get the hell into that AV room. To save dirty but hot Roger, and he failed. 
Um, and he failed. And he has, and she she's talking very seductively to him. There's okay, some sexual right. sexual innu- innuendos <laughs> that I think are hilarious. Like he's drinking this glass of like whiskey or water and he puts it down on the <laughs> table. And she's like, oh, Mr. Natoli, it's so wet. And he's like, what? <laughs> She's like the water on the table. She's like, I am so. He's like, my penis is so erect, and I'm going, I, I'm going to lose my job. That's what he's thinking. Yeah, and he's trying really hard. But like, let's take a second to discuss. There are some wardrobe choices over the course of this movie that boggle my mind, but none confuse me more than the lace corset bustier pencil skirt combination that she's wearing in this scene i never support a corset and a pencil skirt a knee-length pencil skirt mind you um but i I, they're trying to push a sex pot image with her and i mean it just looks very uncomfortable very i've definitely worn that outfit by the way roger at a (laughs) cancer benefit like a full like this um honestly what kind of cancer <laughs> it was it was for the it was just for ohio cancer research oh oh you but mean like, wore, oh gotcha yeah <laughs> i wore that pencil skirt slash bustier combination and a you know a smart blazer over top did you get a, a good did you get a response a la tamara where all the men just immediately did your bidding a little bit too much i felt <laughs> a little i felt a little bit too seen <laughs> if you but know my breasts I mean. were out there saying hello. So what are you gonna do? Donate to cancer. I'm gonna donate to cancer with my breasts. <laughs> so um there <laughs> this this whole sequence is very awkward, but basically uh she leaves and he drinks he downs the glass of scotch in one gulp. Well yeah, because she she leans over him and is like trying to like gonna kiss kissing him and he's like she does kiss yes. him and she he's she's like you don't want me to stop do you i can tell um and i think the <laughs> I, meaning is yeah because she looks down she, <laughs> looks, she, tell, Rhett Butler. she looks down right between his legs and she's like i can tell you don't want me to stop mr <laughs> and uh i really think the reason why she doesn't straddle him is because she squeezed too tightly into that outfit so yes. there's like no way she could spread her legs far enough apart so she leaves and he has blue balls and um, his frumpy wife probably isn't going to help him out with that because she, all she does in this film is mope. Um, but that's a whole different about, not be, <laughs> about not being able to have children. Well, I mean, I suppose if there's a, if there's a reason to mope, I suppose it's being infertile. So <laughs> well, it's, that's even better. You can get the dick without having to worry about getting pregnant. I mean, hello. Well, they've been married for we we know we know from an earlier scene they've been married for like what ten years or so. Well, we know <laughs> we know the next day because uh, Tamara Tamara's bold ass shows up in Mrs. Natoli's office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tamara's so busy these days. <laughs> Basically, she is like, "Listen, bitch, you were thirty years old. You're a hag. Your husband your, your husband doesn't want you." He has all of these hot young women after him. You just need to like go away. You're you're you can't even you're you're barren. You're barren, <laughs> you're barren. barren bitch. He's gonna be mine. <laughs> and she walks out of her office. <laughs> and like, but she does she does the whole thing in a way where she like is insinuating it. 
like she starts off talking about herself and then she segues into like, oh, I just don't want to be a 30 something year old teacher. Like, you know, like you talk about herself, but then at the very Without end of it. children. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then, but then she turns and she's like, and by the way, if the moral of my story is not clear, let me spell it the fuck out for you. You will never give Bill children. <laughs> she, it's so unnecessary. This poor guidance counselor was trying to help her through like the loss of a, another student, you know, Roger, whom she killed. Uh, but then this guidance counselor, just, she's just doing her job. This guidance counselor, counselor does nothing no, she... other than love the man. Love oh, yeah. Bill. Fuck, fuck this job. Fuck this guidance counselor job, by the way. <laughs> yeah, fuck these students. I'm out. And then she goes and tells her husband, she goes and tells her husband, I'm glad you told her about our sex life last night <laughs> he's like i didn't say a word whatever um like, how do you know how do you know how'd she know bill because she, which is a valid question yeah how did she know right uh, well then he goes and gets her and i love the scene because she is like talking to this student that looks like he's 50 and if you caught that <laughs> it looks it looks like the beginning of like um like a reality king gangbang porn where it's like nine oh, yeah. students and she's just like playing with her hoodie. She's like, oh yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I flirt with all of the boys and I fuck them too. Yeah. yeah like I was expecting her like to, to swing oh, around. <laughs> they're like drooling over her and he's like, Tamara, my office right now. <laughs> and this is when he does tell her, Hey, look, bitch, you need to leave me alone. This has gone too far. What just and she's like, not yet. And storms up. Well, she's about she. You see, she raises her hand and she like go. You know, she does that thing with her hand when she takes control. Yeah, yes. where she places it. She places like beside their face, and she's about to do it. She's like, not yet, because I think she's saying like she's not going to force him. She right. wants him to fall. She wants him to fall for oh, her. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You're right. You're not right. yet, but she stomps away with a face of rage. Do not, I repeat, do not get Jenna Duan mad at you she has a bitch face unlike any i've seen the anger that nasal voice oh god there's yeah she's pissed she's very scary she is very scary as a villain i'm telling you i think she is she's a tiny little thing yeah weighs about 90 pounds soaking wet but she will cut you oh yeah yeah will cut you or she will take over your mind and force you to cut yourself. Well, um, which leads into our next scene with her and her dad. She's leaving. She's getting ready for, she's getting ready for a party. Patrick's having a party and she just invites herself. Apparently she's not invited, but she's going to go anyway. <laughs> and she's wearing her little, you know, tight mini skirt and top and bra. And she, and her dad like walks up to her and, and he's like, Oh, you look, you're looking good. Give daddy some love. And, pedophile out of nowhere like i mean they barely even hinted at it before and here we go again with like a weird character like plot line that like they don't really feed it to us other than like in the moment they're like oh by the way i see how you look at me dad and it like cuts to a shot of like his fly like flipping and him like rubbing himself as he's looking through a keyhole like they they do it like the the simplest way possible so they can like skate around it and be like oh by the way this dad's a child molester and he lusts after his own daughter. Like it's very heavily implied for like a second. That's all you get. Yeah. She's like, you love that bottle more than you love you. You know, you love that bottle more than you love mom. That's why she's left. And that's why now you have to lust after your daughter, you bastard. And, she, and then she touches his face and does that thing. And you get some flashbacks of him, like grabbing her inappropriately and hugging her and stuff like that. And she's like, you do love the bottle, don't you? And he's like shaking his head. She's like, good, finish it. 
And he starts drinking the bottle and she's leaving and she's like, there's more in the refrigerator. And then he starts like, once she's gone, she, he starts like actually eating the bottle, biting into it and chewing the glass. And I mm, love it. I love mm. it. Now, I will say this and I'm really giving this movie way too much credit, but you could, if you go by the premise and I was thinking about this over the weekend. Oh, how many times I think of camera over the weekend, <laughs> many, many, many. If, um, if he really has been molesting her, my one thing that I'm thinking, and one of the many reasons why she has so much isolation, is she has been molested by her father since for years now. That is actually happening. And kind of a little bit like Carrie, especially Carrie the Rage, this is building up. So all of these other players coming in here and abusing her, is this is again why I don't under, I don't like the order of this because to me if I was going to do this the father would be last and it would be the worst death possible a la Carrie again but um, I was always thinking you know what if this is kind of just really an allegory for you know this type of abuse essentially and because I'm like this would give so much more I don't know credence to her moving into witchcraft, her studying it, something to empower her. This has been happening, but she's blocked it out. But when she starts coming into her own as a witch, all of these things come to light, making her more and more angry. Uh -huh. And then you have this other event with the abuse event that Rapey 1 and Rapey 2 do. And that's big. But really the big thing is this abuse by her father. But I know that they were not going to be that nuanced with this. They were just like, more body horror, more eating glass. Yeah, but what a good point, Teresa, in the sense that, like, you know, if you're really trying to go for, this movie goes, tries to go for some shock factor, but it doesn't really go for the emotional heft that you could pack into a movie like this, dealing with the trauma that comes mm -hmm. with bullying and, you know, um, you know, obviously child abuse. There's a lot of things they pack in here, but they do it, they do order it in a way that like you would think the, the hierarchy of dilemmas uh, you would <laughs> yes. you would think that the father like I mean if she's being abused by her father that has so much long-term trauma suppressed trauma and it's, right. it's addressed literally in one scene and he's disposed of and it's done and like I know yeah. I would I agree with you a hundred percent if like a final moment with this, taking this storyline and drawing this out just as long as you have the Keishas and all these other characters. Give me more of this because this is something where I, A, want to see her wreak vengeance, absolutely, and B, right. I want to see more of that material in the sense of knowing just why she's as angry and vengeful and these this hatred within her is, is developing. You would get so much more, like I said, emotional heft with that than, than the kind of paper-thin approach they took to some of this but either way she's off to a party and that dress <laughs> Teresa, tell me about that dress oh she looks to me this is peak jenna dewan jenna dewan also who often um served she has in the last season but would serve as a co-host to world of dance and she would often wear outfits very reminiscent of this because at times she would just you know even a, even as a host just dance a little just as the intro, but it would always be kind of one of these sexy little red dresses where it's like, we're going to see your knickers, but she doesn't care because she's such a great dancer. It's fine. <laughs> um, 
But I loved her walking into that party and they're like, you're not invited. And it's just this look of go. Seriously. Do you know who you're fucking with? Her just walking in there and just fucking with whoever she wants to. Without hesitation, without hesitation. Without hesitation. And and in front of everybody, because she um, does her little, she does her little spell on uh, on Patrick. It's his house. He's hosting the party. He's the first one. It's like, bitch, you weren't invited. And she's like, oh, get me a drink. And uh, then she does that little face thing, face rub with him. And he gets under her spell. And she like takes him out on the dance floor. And they just start like grinding on each other. So you have like two arch enemies that are like now all of a sudden sexually being sexually explicit with each other. And poor Jesse's just standing there and he's like, what the fuck? And Sean sees it and Sean's like, Oh my God, I'm going to go get him. What the hell is he doing? So he goes and confronts them on the dance floor and she does the same thing to him right away. So now you got a sandwich. She's the, she's the meat and they're just grinding Two on her. Loaves of a tamar sandwich. <laughs> but tell me this ain't my kind of party because my God, this looks like a good time. Circa mid 2000, five you know or mid-2000s the music the vibe the wardrobe get me to that party because everyone there is having the time of their fucking lives the lighting i mean aside from the people getting killed or under spells but they, there's a chat where they look over at the dance floor they're dancing i'm like god that looks like a good fucking time get me excited for one of your parties Teresa. thank you and, and tons of food lots of food which obviously that that um, that is not a true high school party. No, it's like you're lucky if there's a, if there's a stray bag of fucking lays out there. Yeah, no, they they had veggie <laughs> trays. They had fucking sus, sub submarine sandwich. Yeah, somebody went to Costco that shit. day. And he's like, my parents are out of town, and I'm going to spend two hundred dollars at Costco. <laughs> <laughs> now this is what um, this is a good scene. No, it's it could have been a lot better. Just my, but my no, Han better for 2005. From my though. gay perspective. <laughs> no, well, 2005 wasn't that long ago. But she okay, so she takes she takes um, Patrick and Sean up to the bedroom and starts making out with them. But then she's like, you know, and this is when we get really hit on the head with the fact that they both are, have been drugging and raping women, girl, young girls, freshmen. And so she's like, I want you guys to feel the, viol- the, the, the violation that you've inflicted on all these other people. So guess what? You two are going to fuck each other. <laughs> and Who's the pitcher? Who's the catcher? Yeah. And she does eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And Sean gets to be the top. Of course. And she says it. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, he seems like, he seems like. Oh yeah. He's, and Patrick is the, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they start making out, but it's so lame and so tame. Like nothing is nothing. shown. They still have clothes on. I'm like, what is going on? I was I was disappointed, especially knowing that a gay man wrote this film. I know writers don't have say in anything in, in terms of what's actually filmed, but I'm like, come on. They are still fully clothed under the sheets. Heisha goes upstairs to find them and that you can see like uh, under the sheets, like bodies rolling around. And she thinks it's, she thinks it's them having sex with Tamara and she pulls the sheets off and it's Sean and Patrick still fully clothed. They haven't even taken a shirt <laughs> off. They haven't taken a shoe off. I'm like, come on, give us something. They could, be, they could be doing anything. That's my thing. 
They could just be two drunk guys with their thumbs up each other each other's ass. I don't know, with their clothes on. They're, they're not even... And they look to her when she walks in and she's shocked. And then they kind of go back to, I guess, making out. But there's literally no sexual chemistry between them. It's all, you You can totally it's tell. It's like no homo. This is my perspective. Exactly. I was going to say, and I don't want to, I don't know the director. Sorry, director. If you're Sorry. Listening, but I feel like, I feel like the director was like, yeah, we're not going to show. I'm uncomfortable. You guys are probably uncomfortable. So just like pretend that you're kissing for a bit. You don't want to show it. Just get really close to each other's faces, bro. I know, bro. I know, bro. Just do it. Just do it, bro. Get under the sheets, bro. I'm just, I, I can just see that's how that we'll do one. We're going to do one take. We're going to do one take. We're going to do one take. But I will say, um, you know, in between 2005 and now, there has been quite a lot of a level evolution within queer media. And can you imagine if this scene would have been made in 2021? Oh God! You get ass. Oh, you, you get, get it balls, all. You get everything. <laughs> a full penetration shot. Like, a full penetration. Great. Like you know, so like you know. Like, what is what is the movie where Willem Dafoe? You just see his ball sack in slow motion. Uh, uh, the, uh, Antichrist. Antichrist. <laughs> Lars von Trier. Yeah. That was not his dick. Not his dick. I don't think. Uh, well, but they got I think they purposely cast the largest nut sack. No, his. Was, <laughs> apparently, his penis is actually quite. Large, but so large that it's distracting. So he, this is a rumor. I don't know if this is true. So I, I was told they brought in an adult film actor and kind of. Is it possible to dub in the penis? Dub in. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just a. It's literally just a nut, nut sack and taint shot. So <laughs> yes, that's possible. And yes, we're getting it carried away. But you know what I'm going to say, Willem Dafoe does give big dick energy and if anyone in hollywood i think has a huge dick it should be willem dafoe he deserves it what a talent enormous a face a face like a crater a nightmare to look at but <laughs> everything else yeah he is not the most oh, yeah man, it, it kind of eerie it's kind of definitely creepy but i would definitely still make sweet love to him and <laughs> get on a podcast and talk about it with everyone <laughs> <laughs> so I, but I was very, I was very disappointed with this sex scene. I wanted a lot yes. more, but I could just, I was whatever. So Jet or Keisha goes up and finds them, and Tamara immediately gets her and starts uh, playing on her insecurities, which is her body image. Um, apparently, Keisha is like bulimic. Yeah. Uh-huh. So she makes her puke, and she's like puking all this like chunky stuff up. I don't know what it was supposed to be. Like was. I thought at one point she was, I thought, I'm like, is, did she just puke up teeth? Did it have like a baby? <laughs> like, is she, I thought like she was, I thought she was going to have her puke up so much stuff that it was like, I don't know, uterine lining and one of a lung. And <laughs> I didn't know how far they were going to go with this body horror sequence. You do it. They do a, uh, an above shot over top. Keisha when she's vomiting and you do see that she I mean first of all she throws up like bile twice and then she throws up blood and when she throws up the blood and you, you see it from above it looks chunks like she's throwing up literally like blood yeah. and shit like it looks like the, yeah the chunks coming out of her almost look like I thought shit or like it's pretty I mean it looks repulsive it is repulsive and then of course it cuts back and it is just a hallucination because she is toying with everybody it's a hallucination um, and she tells her now you're and she's like tells her now you're now you're really hungry keisha go eat 
So Keisha proceeds to go down to the smorgasbord that's in the kitchen. <laughs> and she, there. she has she has access to fucking uh fulls, <laughs> deli sandwiches, lunch meats, cheeses. Yes. But what doesn't work, and first of all, I, I do feel like the smorgasbord is actually the spread they had for the extras because it does look like a, a film spread, like a film <laughs> shoot. But um she like she's like, Yes, I'm starving. And then she sprints downstairs and she immediately starts eating a full barrage of health foods. She's eating apples, carrots, broccoli, and dip. Everything she's eating, it's like, yes, I can see like, if you're hungry, like I would want to see her eating like an entire rotisserie chicken. Like, I know, want, yeah, have, exactly. I want the chicken. I want it like Richard, the, you know, Henry the eighth. They are the scene where, when Chloe's pulls, like knows something's up and like dragging her out of the house. And she has like a sandwich hanging out of her mouth and like one in her hand. And she's voracious. <laughs> yeah. She's hungry. Yeah. We've all been there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One stoned, one very belligerently stoned. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so basically Chloe and, and Jesse at this point are like, oh, shit. I mean, everyone knows, you know, everyone within the group knows that Tamara is a dark entity at this point. But now they're realizing, oh, fuck, she's got the ability to take control over people, as we've learned, because the two men slept with each other. Um, and so they um, <laughs> immediately run to their car and get in the vehicle and take off with Keisha in tow, eating a full hoagie. Eating a full hoagie. <laughs> and they stop and call, of all people, uh, they call Mr. Natelli. I would think maybe the police would be a better option or nope. somebody, but it's their English teacher. I want to know how, the, how they have his phone number. She just has his phone number saved on her phone. Does he get Again, a- because I think Mr. Natoli has had boundary issues with some of these <laughs> students. I'm not saying he, I do not believe he's abused any of these students, but I believe he has had boundary issues. His wife is also the guidance counselor. She probably has boundary issues. They're the cool teachers. They're the teachers that like will go yeah. out to like a restaurant with them every once in a while. No, if a student calls me and says, "Hey, can you come pick me up?" I'm like, "No, sorry." Well, Troy, you're you're not a cool teacher. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but but somehow they ha- they call Mr. Natoli. I, like I said, I was like thinking, okay, of all the people to call, like uh, you're calling your teacher. He shows up and um, Chloe somehow gets a phone. Oh, no. What does she do? No. Um, Keisha gets a phone and she calls. She's calling her boyfriend, um, Sean, and Tamara answers the phone and she's like, oh, Sean can't come to the phone right now because he's fucking Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) And this is when this is when Keisha tells um, Tamara that um, they called Mr. Natoli and he's on his way. And so Chloe finds out that she's on the phone and they get in an altercation and Chloe knocks Keisha out and Mr. Natoli. The first, punch. the first real good decision though, that's been made is when Chloe is like, Hey, come here. Come I've here. got a plan. Yeah. 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 And Keisha, Keisha like leans in and then she just like right hooks her to the jaw and knocks her the fuck out. I'm like, good bitch. Like finally stepping up to the plate as the lead girl that you are. Also yeah. to be acknowledged in the sequence, because Keisha is so hungry, she is, is literally nibbling off the tips of her fingers. Oh, and yes. It's disgusting, which come back to, to play later. Um, but yeah, it's super gross. And um, they're like pointy at this point, like the entire fingers, yeah. because they've been nibbled off or like at a point. As if yep. it as if it's you're wearing like a long nail, but the nail is flesh. Like a talon. It's like a, a ta- talon. Yes, a talon. That's good. Yeah. It's rough. Uh, 
And so Bill arrives, Mr. Natoli, Bill arrives on the scene. Um, and uh, he's, again, pretty quickly convinced of the plot developments. Uh, you know, people keep the story moving in this film. Not a lot of debating, not a lot of arguing, and not a lot of questioning. And they're, they they seem to have, there seems to be this, and I've seen this in other movies, this like magic, magic piece of a puzzle that they just tell them and everything else comes to place. Oh, well, now I understand completely what she's doing. She's doing this exact spell and this sequence, and this must've been what happened. It's like, I feel like this would take much longer. I understand that they have a torn sheet from the grimmery, but are, are these, are any of these people well-versed in the occult in anything having to do with spellcraft, in anything having to do with candle work. No, they are not. So it's one of those things, and it drives me crazy in horror movies and all movies when it's like we all magically get it now and we just have to push through this and with very little explanation so we can forward to the next scene. Do you know what I mean? It's a little... Yeah, I totally get what you're saying because, like, the very next scene, um, Natoli, Chloe, Jesse go into uh, Tamara's house. They just like break in. They just walk right in, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh!" And they find the the dad dead at the refrigerator. So the dad did actually go downstairs and get helped himself to the beer bottles that were in the refrigerator and this and ate them. Glass eating, like he eats the glass, and the sequence is literally. I'm convinced nothing more than like fake scab you know the fake like fake scab that we use with like in like low budget indie films and like broken fake glass and like not, that's it but it's <laughs> that's all it really needs it's actually kind of gross it's pretty effective because you just it's pretty visceral everything in this movie is pretty visceral except that disappointing gay lovemaking scene which should have been the was, most visceral out that of was just damn boring because there, there wasn't even spit as nothing, far as I was concerned. Nothing. Going and dry. There was nothing. Like Going it. and dry. Uh, and that's visceral. <laughs> um, but, but um, so, yeah, they find the father. The glass scene is pretty nasty. And then um, there's this whole sequence where they go into her room. And they have, like, a scene. The effect that they use, they literally had to get this, like, right from, like, the charmed or buffy like they reattach the page Teresa, we've seen this like a million times oh before. my it, it's been done it's yes this has been something that has magically happened in sabrina like the newer sabrina probably the older the newer sabrina with kieran shipka on netflix but also on the older sabrina with melissa joan hart but there's a magical reattachment of a page and a blah blah blah, blah and like you know, pages. Move. The puzzle puts itself together. Yeah, everything. The yeah. Um, I mean, and, and then they automatically can understand everything. what it means. They're like, "Oh, well, th this means that sure, she's bound to you, Natoli." <laughs> and they, "Oh, well, she had to spill blood, and when she, when we killed her, that's how she spilled the blood, and now she's bound to Natoli forever until." We can break the spell. In the me in the mean whatever it's in the meantime, Tamara has decided she's done fucking around. That she's getting she's getting some Natoli dick one way or the other. And so what she does is she gets Patrick and Sean to go and kill. She sends them on a mission like to go Terminator. kill Miss Natoli. 
Yeah, you like the Terminator. It's literally Sarah, Sarah Connor, except <laughs> it's just the toilet. When they- and instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's two awkward, bubbling, <laughs> meeting white men who just had gay sex. Uh, so the, the threatening element is definitely like downplayed because you know they like still reek of each other's buttholes. Uh, uh, and they're coming for this woman who honestly proves to be the most capable and competent person in the movie. Absolutely. Somehow. Mrs. Natoli, like they are part of a mafia and Mrs. Natoli is the muscle. <laughs> she, she fucks them up. I mean, they don't even get any, it's two against one. It's two, literally, these are supposed to be like football like the star football players, football players, they can, <laughs> yes, and they cannot even, they can't even catch this little five foot housewife. They're chasing her around. She's beating the shit out of them with everything she can get her hands on. Then the one does get her. She runs in the basement. Not a smart choice, but I guess where else is she gonna go? And he does get his hand around yes. her neck and starts choking her. But she's able to get a screwdriver and stabs him in the side of the neck with it. That's Patrick. Um, and it's kind of gross because he pulls it out and blood just starts gushing out. Um, and I love like, I love scenes like this when there's like two killers and it's just so convenient. Like when one's attacking the, 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 the would be victim that the other one's nowhere to be found, even though he was like just chasing her. So she has time to like kill him. And like the other one's just magically gone. He went back upstairs or something. So he's dead. And then Sean comes back downstairs and attacks her in the most awkward way. He's not even threatening. What does he even have? He has a knife and he's like, coming at her. And she picks up a a shovel and (laughs) this bitch breaks the end of the shovel off and shoves it in. She's a badass bitch. Yeah, it's it's a it's a real dark, twisted home alone fantasy. Um, you know, it had all the elements of that things that Macaulay Culkin had. There was a shovel. There, I mean, all of it. But it's not. It, we just weren't really it laughing. Is. But I was kind of laughing. I no, mean, but here. But I wanted. But I wanted these two characters to deserve yes, the yeah. worst deaths. It, they did, and they deserved not to be taken out <laughs> by Miss Natoli. I mean, <laughs> I mean. The, the, come on well her like, character really? really like is just secondary until you get to this point so this it's not like you've got this moment of like huzzah miss natoli you're kind of like oh her again and you're like oh wait and they're like oh she's fucking shit up it's actually kind of uncomfortable because like she is a she's a school counselor and then she snaps but you know what i am convinced she has barren rage she does and that is what that's what carries her anger because she's going through this whole thing with not being able to have a child. She's very, very miserable about it. Understandably. So, and then these two motherfuckers come into her house. I think not. I think not. I I just think from a screenwriting perspective, it's just a very interesting choice to have the, the two worst characters in the film outside of Tamara's dad, obviously, but, but two characters that are equally as bad as, I mean, these guys have been raping freshman yes. girls and drugging them for what seems like years now, even to the point where there is even a comment when they're at the hotel towards the beginning of the movie that um, Sean's like, well, I'm surprised he doesn't, he doesn't have, um, you know, a VIP key waiting for him as many times as he's brought freshmen here. Uh, So obviously this, and this is how they go. Like, it's just such a, like a cop out or not even a cop out. It's just, it's just, to me, it's very sloppy baby. It's very sloppy, sloppy baby. Like just throw this to, we'll get rid of these two in this manner. So we can really highlight 
the importance of this, which is this binding love spell, mm -hmm. which again, this is a movie oftentimes that does not know what it mm -hmm. wants to be. As Troy said, is this about this spell binding or is this about mm -hmm. revenge? What is this about? Tamara doesn't even know what well, it's about. Because Tamara seems to want revenge, but she's not doing it herself. She's more, uh, you know, because, okay, so we're leading off from this scene to the scene at the hospital. Now they're at the hospital. Miss <laughs> Natoli's at the hospital now. Um, they drop Keisha off because obviously she's bitten her fingers off. Um, <laughs> Tamara shows up at the hospital. Gets a, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Gets a hold of Keisha. And all of a sudden, this is what I'm saying. This is when Keisha, this little four foot six girl, turns into the fucking Terminator. She has like scalpels that she's waving around like they're nunchucks. She's like a ninja. She's um, a fucking ninja. She is literally like a ninja. She becomes a ninja because uh, uh, what's her name and Jesse, Chloe and Jesse, like go to get on an elevator, and all of a sudden she jumps out of the elevator and starts raw yeah yeah with these with this fucking scalpel, chase them down. But the power of Tamara compels her, correct? It does, yeah. it does yes. Point? I'm assuming well, so. her... This is the power of Tamara. This is not just Keisha. <laughs> Keisha, Keisha decides that she's like... I would prefer that it was Keisha letting loose. She's like... Keisha's line is, I'm not a chicken. Not... <laughs> it's a different different tone. She is like, I'm... I'm going all she, out. Um, yeah. There's the moment where she's laying in the bed and she just like opens up her eyes and like sits the fuck up. And you can tell she's like under the possession. But like, I think one thing, and this is the Keisha moment is, is building up to becoming what it is. One area that this movie fumbles is it, you start off very much sympathizing for Tamara. You start up off um, wanting Tamara to be the character who sees some sort of happy ending, I suppose, because I mean, she is abused. She's not a bad character by any means. She's just sad, you know, and that's all, that's all she's really got is, is sadness. And then at this point with what you were saying earlier about the whole sequence with the two male students and the teacher fighting in the basement. And now this with Keisha becoming like another pawn is this movie loses track of the fact that Tamara is a sympathetic character and completely leans into her solely being a villainess. And, and that mm -hmm. is where this movie within this kind of genre breakdown of where it falls with the Carries and all the other movies about the female empowerment and everything. And Carrie from beginning to end was a sympathetic character. Tamara loses that because she becomes a selfish character and, and, that kind of sucks. I don't necessarily want that. I want Tamara to have a reason for us to root for her. And by the end of it, you lose all of the characters who would be the real villains because they become disposable and it, they just lean really hard into this Tamara being the bad guy. And I didn't think that was the intention to start off with. I think they made a fumble there. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Maybe that's what's, maybe that's what bothered me about this movie. Not only that, but like I said, it, it really takes a shift in its, um, in its approach or its tone, even at, at some point in the film, when it becomes this whole quest to make her make these villains, the true villains of the films, her pawns to do her work, which ultimately now we find out is to get the love of Mr. Natoli and make him hers for the rest of their lives, which is just, 
ridiculous. Um, I mean, that's all I can say. Uh, so, and Keisha, now she, she attacks Jesse and Chloe for some reason. She's chasing them around. She actually catches Chloe and like beats the shit out of her, like viciously uh-huh. beats the shit out of her, like knocks her out. And then she gets a hold of Jesse and like fights him with this giant like cake pan and <laughs> like swinging it around like it's, and, but she hits him in the head with it. And this is actually a really brutal scene. Like she takes it and she's yeah. trying to put his head into a deep fryer. That is surprisingly turned on, although the kitchen is yes. not. Yeah, well, you know, it's on because he <laughs> knocks some French fries into it and they start like sizzling. And as she's pushing his head into it, she takes a knife and just like starts stabbing him upward into the gut. Um, it's really brutal. And, and it is. here is another is. character, another character that is super sympathetic um at least of that group like jesse really didn't he was like roger wrong place wrong time yeah he went along with it but he didn't do anything that was like vicious towards her he had no ill will towards her and again he gets one of the more brutal death scenes um because he does die uh chloe does come and knock hit hit Tamara with a giant like five foot meat tenderizer and they run out in the hallway and he collapses and he, he like basically dies in front of her. And it's kind of sad because I like Jesse. I'm like, this dude didn't deserve that. Like, yeah, yeah. I have, um, I have, I have a lot of opinions about this whole sequence that leads into the finale. Um, everything starting from when Keisha does sit up and clearly like under the influence of Tamara, um, but going into this like fight sequence where clearly she's now one of her minions and everything. And, and um, first thought is that the actress playing Keisha definitely shines when she is not delivering dialogue. I think that she is, I think she's best mute, but uh, she must be like a, she must be like one of those ninja warriors from that, like uh, American gladiators or something. She's so tiny, but God, she's fierce. Um, And she is. You know what I was, I was thinking real quick about this, Roger. I thought, like Jenna Dewan, and I would have to do some more research on this, which I should have done. Apologies. I'm thinking Keisha may have had a dance, some dance background. Oh, absolutely. Not that that's just because she's very, um, I could see her as um, a contemporary dancer. I mean, well, that hat, with, that um, hat plays into it too. Well, that would definitely be going more into the, an R&B type vibe, more of a hip-hop look. But I could see her on, I definitely could see her um, very much as a contestant on So You Think You Can Dance. Yeah, or Bring It On 3, Keisha or versus... I, I mean, I honestly, I wouldn't be, I would not, or any part of the Step Up franchise after Jenna Dewan. Oh, yeah, Step Up, not, not Bring shocked. It On. <laughs> because that is the... That is the size girl that they really seem to love around that time period. They seem to love these miniature dancers, I call them. Not super tall dancers, ones that would really get cast in things, but these shrunken little compact nudely armed dancers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she moves very fluidly. The whole fight sequence is actually it's a yeah. pretty good sequence. It is, it's just a bummer because I do think that that character of Jesse um is probably the most likable male aside from bill you know the teacher is pretty endearing for what he is in this thinly written script but um jesse's death uh it really is yeah it's just like a kind of a sour moment it's not even tamara executing it it's keisha and uh, the, the way it goes down with like the whole like 
stabbing him brutally and then she gets knocked out she doesn't even get killed you know and then they they're in a hospital so like no one's even asking for help in this hospital i'm very confused by how it all happens and he just dies she just kind of like chloe just kind of sits over him and watches him die and it's just kind of like wop wop yeah he dies in a hospital and nobody is working in this hospital apparently because yeah, he's literally in the middle of the hallway. There's no doctors. There's no, there's nothing, nobody around, which plays into the fact that, okay. So after Jesse dies, which again is very sad. I, I didn't like that part. It cuts to the Natolis, Miss, Mr. And Mrs. Natoli. They are running to the roof. <laughs> so I want to, I want to refer to her only as mama Natoli from now on. Cause she's, she's shed blood. At this point, she is a she's a godmother. She sounds like she has her own bolognese sauce, <laughs> Mama Natoli. There's nothing about her. First off, neither one of these individuals are screaming Italian to me. <laughs> Speaking as a little mini guinea myself, I'm allowed to say that um, as an Italian American lady, none of them. The Natolis are the whitest, waspiest people I've ever seen in my fucking life. But proceed. They're they're, very, they're not at all Italian. You're right. And Troy, I'm sorry I stepped on you, but God, that woman, she's she's shed blood at this point. She's officially a godmother. Uh, she's an Italian godmother. She's you know she's on the list. She is on the list. But yeah, they go to the roof, and again, it just boggles my mind that of all the places you can run in a hospital, you're going to run to the roof where you're going to be trapped. The hospital is full of these red <laughs> flashing exit signs that lead to the way out. But they go to the roof. And of course, T- Tamara follows with her. Now she has a cop that's a minion now that she's. And let's take got his... a second to talk about the pursuit. When Tamara is pursuing, it is the sexiest pursuit. <laughs> like it can't be even, re- it's not even remotely scary because she's catwalking. It's a after strut. Like... It's a aggressive <laughs> strut. It's very step up if you've seen it because she does a mixture of, she does a lot of cool ass Strut, strut, strut into a balance, balance into jeté, jeté, like a beautiful, beautiful balletic move into strut, sexy, 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 sexy with Channing, sexy. So I feel like that was, you know. Yeah. Well, Tamara gets her cop to shoot Mrs. Natoli, but before she can, before he can follow through with that, Chloe is now pissed because she just saw her boyfriend die in the hallway. And she got a fire axe and she whacks Tamara in the head with this fire axe. Um, and of course it does nothing except the wound like gets put back together and that kind of weird CGI works. Of course it does. What what does the spell not encompass? Like the, the spell that Tamara cast, it, it, I mean, I thought the spell was simply to ensure that the man of her dreams falls in love with her. But I mean, honestly, this spell just covers everything. It covers everything and then some. You, you can't kill her. She takes people over. You get a new wardrobe. You get your hair done. You get your makeup done. You don't get, get me everything. don't get me started on that wardrobe again. We could go for three more hours. <laughs> but anyway, so then Tamara touches Chloe. And actually, she realizes then by touching Chloe, she can see that Chloe really was trying to help her. All this time, Chloe was not a vindictive, vicious bitch like the rest of them. And she promptly starts to decompose. <laughs> For some reason, she totally decomposes. It's a CGI overload effect where she literally turns into a rotted 
human being, which I have a question about because the span of this movie has only been what two days. If that. So she she would not be she would not be a completely dis- decomposed block. <laughs> And then what what point does it serve? Because like she decomposes for like 30 seconds and then all of a sudden turns right back to Tamara and she's like, oh, I got to be with you, Mr. Natoli. This is never going to end. Well, anything. Go ahead, Teresa. I just have a quick question. And as two individuals, we got a director here. We have a people, two people here who are very acquainted with doing film work. And, you know, you got to get the monies. So I'm thinking the people that had the money, um, the backers, the funders, and what have you, to fund fund the director's vision of this movie. If they were, if they told them, "Listen, we need this many, we need this much CGI, this many scares, this many visceral sounds, this many," like it's like we don't care how you do it, but we got to have them this stuff included in there because we want the most for. I almost think it is think these backers as. We want the most for our bank. We want the most bang for our buck, our buck, regardless of if it makes sense or not. Because I have uh-huh. heard that happening so often when people are uh-huh. making a film and how yeah. their vision gets sucked out by these other people that are asking for demanding this silliness, essentially, yeah. that does not that does not help with the story. Right. And well, and one thing that I think acknowledge with that and, and stepping back and looking at what this title is and the kind of, I guess the kind of film you'd expect when you look at the cover of Tamara, you know, <laughs> a sexy Jenna Duan holding an axe in a, in a schoolgirl skirt. Um, you know, this movie does not have any female nudity. This movie, I mean, it has some hot makeup scenes and stuff, but this movie is honestly pretty tame altogether. So I would not be shocked if this was something where they were like, oh, we're going to go PG-13 with the TNA. Okay, well then uh, you better amp up the gore and the violence. Because if yeah. you're not going to give us hits and ass for a movie like Tamara, which is all about a girl strutting around a high school in a miniskirt, then you better follow through on the violence aspect. Which honestly, I mean, the, the kills, I would say, outweigh the rest of the film, the only real small moments are really the kills. Uh, the rest of it, the story itself is thin. And I think this point that you just mentioned, Troy, honestly, is just another example of the story fumbling and really missing the core of what tra- uh, Tamara really, at the end of the day, should have been or was trying to be, is it makes Tamara again so unlikable she has a moment where this character could totally have had a moment of coming back to her humanity and realizing what she's done and i don't know sacrificed herself for bill or whatever some moment to make tamara uh not redeem herself but the audience maintain that sympathy that they really established for her in the beginning and instead they just throw it away and are like all right let's have another one big final shock moment for the sake of it well, and we're getting to that because these, this ending makes absolutely zero sense. It comes out of uh-huh. nowhere because you have a character throughout the film who has no gives no indication that he would do something like this. Uh-huh. Like there's nothing in his persona that's portrayed in the film where we would think, okay, this is what's going to happen. He's going to do this. But what he does is he once Tamara says, I have to be with you, Bill, he actually likes, okay, he goes over and kisses her. And then what's he do? He, he fucking 
proceeds kills himself. Kills, kills himself. He throws her and him off of the hospital roof to their deaths. Um, and I was like, what the fuck? This guy had no indication that he was suicidal. <laughs> At least put up a fight. At least be like, hey, you know what? We have that book. Maybe we should go look in the book and see if there's a spell that can undo this love spell before I throw myself off a fucking roof. Hmm. It is impromptu. It is and, out of nowhere. Unless he just wanted to be away. From, unless he just wanted to get away from his wife. This might totally sound really ludicrous. But my thought is possibly... Maybe while it seems crazy that he would jump off the roof, maybe there are some insurmountable problems with him and his wife, Alice, and that we just simply don't know about. Maybe this is his way out. Maybe he really is in love with Tamara. I don't know. It makes no, again, there is no hesitation. He does give a look, gives a, a look of longing or knowing to Allison before he does it. But I doubt she's thinking, okay, my husband and love of my life is going to take out this teenage witch girl by doing some type of dual suicide situation. I mean, <laughs> like that look really, that sends a loaded message. That look he gives her that lone glance. Like I would, if I saw that, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Uh, puncher like i don't know something right. but that, i wouldn't i wouldn't think that translates to suicide no. he's really going out of limb no well he, and he leaves i mean he leaves his poor barren wife with who now she has chloe. fucking uh what's her name <laughs> chloe i mean it's gonna be chloe and fucking mrs natoli well yeah <laughs> give me that give me that buddy comedy give me that buddy comedy those two on the road it's not like chloe's getting going, revenge yeah, well chloe's not going chloe is traumatized. I, I'm sure she's going to be homeschooled for the rest of the year. Miss Natoli has killed two students. Um, and her defense is there was nothing behind their eyes. I mean, she's killed two students. No one is the possession and um, compulsion per rich witchcraft is not going to be a good enough excuse for the local police. No, that bitch is going, going to prison. prison. No, I mean, they no. were in her house. What's self-defense? They were in her house, but I do not think she's going back to, to being a school counselor. If anything, she, in turn, will be the one receiving counseling. I mean, she was already struggling with the barren aspect, and I, that seemed to be causing a rift in the marriage to begin with. Third time, failed third time. I'm sure they were uh, already struggling with her issues. Now you bring in this teenage witch, who <laughs> apparently will have it no other, no other way. I mean, what are you really going to do other than kill yourself? But Mama Natoli... Um, I think she's got the, I think when the cops find the bodies of these young men in her home, wielding weapons, I think she's got a good alibi. Oh, she's got a good, yeah. you know, she's got a good reason for defending herself. She was taken by surprise. It's not, it's not a lie. I, I just, I, I do think it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be an ugly trial though, because you know, those parents are going to be awful. And it's going to be all over Dateline. It's going to be on 2020. It's going to be like Nancy, Nancy, Nancy Grace. It'd be, it'd be like, listen, y'all, this woman says that these two teenage boys that she supposedly wasn't sleeping with attacked her. Do I believe it? Not I have two sons. <laughs> My twins. On the life of my twins, my babies. I do not believe her. 
<laughs> I can't wait. Give me that. Give me that sequel. Give me that one. Yeah, we need it. Well, and while well, the film ends, sets itself up for a sequel that never happened because after everyone's dead except Natoli and Chloe, there is a random shot of a hand that has toilet paper, bloody toilet paper hanging off the fingertips, grabbing the book of spells and taking it. And then the film ends. And we know who the fingers are because only one person has bloody fingertips. So it's, what's her name? She was eating her fingers earlier. Only one person in this film was nibbling on her fingers. It's that Keisha. And it's Keisha. But do we, what do we think this ending implies? Because it can imply a few things. We can imply A, somehow, some way, Tamara is in Keisha, which I don't know about that. That seems like going out on a, out on a limb. It could also imply B, that Keisha is intending on taking up witchcraft and now starting her own yeah. maybe coven what Teresa, what do you know more about witchery than either of us what are you thinking with this well again part of me if this was i don't know edited and directed better would have enjoyed the idea of some type of soul transference but keisha was nowhere in the proximity for soul trans which soul transference to occur she was in the kitchen by the fryer so i guess we're supposed to assume keisha's gotten keisha has the compulsion out of her but she still still feels empty she feels kind of like a pre 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 pre-empowered tamra so perhaps she's like well Tamara seemed to get what she wanted with this grimmery. I guess it's now my turn. Maybe I can find a spell that will give me back my fingertips. Maybe that's A. Maybe that's A. I don't know what type of plastic surgery is out there to uh, rejuvenate fingertips, which have been eaten to a point. If anybody out there listens to this podcast with this type of knowledge, please um, allow Troy and Roger to know because I'm at a loss. I have I love plastic surgery, but I have never heard of one to fix that. Eating fingertips. Fingertips. Uh, well, I mean, if you've seen the human Ken doll, now the human Barbie, uh, you know anything can happen. So, uh, and hoping for her, if there's no plastic surgery, at least maybe there's a spell, and maybe that's why she was moved to grab that book to begin with. Either way, it's an absurd ending for an absurd movie. Right. Uh, it is. Full of, full of nonsense and sexploitation. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, you know, um, at the end of the day, Keisha should have had Band-Aids on her fingers, not toilet paper. <laughs> because she was in a hospital. Could <laughs> it could I don't, It looked like toilet paper to okay. me. It was all like hanging off her. But she was in a hospital. They're putting toilet paper on her fingers. So maybe that explains there's nobody working at the hospital. There was nobody there to put anything on her fingertips. So she just wraps some toilet paper around it. But at the end of the day, absurd ending for an absurd movie. I don't know that I would necessarily want to watch this movie again anytime (laughs) soon. Um, It's not that it's not entertaining. It's very entertaining. It's just... It does a lot of things right, but it does more things wrong. And in the end, at the end, it just didn't deliver what I was expecting. And maybe that's on me, but I just did not find the whole idea of this teenage witch making her enemies, her minions to get the guy that she's in love with 
to fall in love with her. I just did not find that very interesting. Um, so to me, I mean, the film starts pretty strong and it, but it, it goes downhill pretty quickly for me. Yeah. It's got sparks and moments, but overall it, it it's, um, it's definitely not, uh, <laughs> any, any, anything that's going to be going down <laughs> in the record books is one of the more yeah. defining films of the era. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, it's a very it's a product of its time period, which is the mid two thousands, and 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 everything costuming. I mean, plot hair. device. It's very hair. Um, so, yeah. What about what are your thoughts on the film, Teresa? Since you're our guest, what what are your thoughts? I love it because I love to see Jenna Dewan as a. Um, as a villain, I would like to see her in more roles as a villain. Um, I think she's very boring as the sweet girl. She just fades into, but I think she jumps off the screen as, um, um, you know, as kind of a vicious type of person. I did like some of the themes, but I wish they would have picked one. So it's like, if we're going to have an allegory about child abuse, Let's really deep, let's really move, you know, lean hard into that and see how she manifests her powers to deal with that issue. Or if we're going to have like, is this really something about latent homosexuality? Got a gay writer on here, but then you have like two guys fully clothed, maybe Eskimo kissing each other. You know what I mean? It's like, there's so much potential you like watch it and you're like so much potential, but there's all also so many tropes. So I, I feel a mixed, a mixed bag of emotions. Yeah. It has a lot of themes that you're right. It, 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 you know, it, it takes everything in the kitchen sink and it just kind of throws it out on the, on the table. And uh, because of that, it, it, everything is thinned out instead of having one core, uh, message or theme or concept that they're really targeting, like you said, with the child abuse or bullying or whatever it is, instead of having one focus, it just kind of tries to touch on everything. And because of that, instead of having one strong film with, uh, with depth to it, it instead gives you a paper thin film with thinner characters uh, and thinner experiences. And it loses something because of that. Yes. It's a fun popcorn flick. It's fun to watch. It has some really cool kills. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I mean, we've seen it all before. Uh, and I do think there are other movies that have gone on to do similar things to this better. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. And that's Tamara. Tamara. So... For all of its flaws, um, warts and all, that is Tamara. And um, we we watched it, and it was a thing. And I'm sure somehow, some way, she'll, she'll come back to haunt us again in the future somehow. Um, but with that being said, you know what, uh, Teresa, I felt like this was the right title for you, mostly because Jenna Dewan and because of the wardrobe choices. And uh, I hope uh, those resonated with you. It did. I want to thank you and Troy for having me on to speak of Miss Jenna Dewan, no longer Tatum. And um, 
this captivating, albeit flawed movie, Tamara, which I always wanted to see and I was able to. So thank you very much. Um, for any of your audience who is interested, please consider listening to the Pop Culture Persephone. Comes out every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can even visit popcultureperceptiony.com, which I have all of my episodes listed, plus a lot of extra visual information. So it is a good time. And Mr. Roger Connors has been a frequent collaborator and guest. Thanks. We have a good time. Oh. They are my highly, most highly rated episodes when Roger guest stars. Thank you. So. Thank you. And I do encourage listeners to listen to Teresa because she does uh, touch on quite a good amount of queer culture and queer relevant topics. And I know we get a big gay following. And let me tell you, uh, this game has it all. So, um, it, and Teresa, thank you so much for diving into this 2005 time capsule with us. And uh, any other social media handles you want them to know about Instagram or Twitter or any of these things? Um, yes, on Instagram, I'm at pop, pop culture Persephone. So you can follow me there. And that is the probably the best place to get all of my previews for upcoming episodes. And um, I do have a Twitter, but I am hardly ever on it. I can only handle so much. I can only handle so much. It's not the best vehicle as they say, for what I do. So I stay with my interest. I hear you. I hear you, sister, loud and clear. Uh, but again, thank you so much for joining us. This was a really fun one. The tangents alone. Uh, I, thank I think you. that thank you, the Roger. gays are going to be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> but Troy, um, I can only fathom uh what you are even uh, having in store for us next episode after this how are you possibly going to follow up tamara you know it's tough it's tough but i think i found the perfect um the perfect follow-up to tamara <laughs> and i'm just going to put it out there it is the classic classic trauma film because you know so many trauma films are classic, right? The Toxic Avenger. Love yes. it. I fucking love it. And uh, Very Teresa, good. That's exciting. Teresa, you may know this. Have you heard who they are uh, talking about? You know they're remaking The Toxic Avenger with a big budget. Have you heard about who is in the talks to play The Toxic Avenger? I cannot believe this, but I have not. I'm going to guess, and I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going to throw it out there, and I'm going to say Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, but it's You're going right. to love this. Peter Dinklage. Really? Yes. You know, he used to... Hmm. He, I mean, like, he's a classically trained actor, and I think that he could knock it out of the fucking park. He's such a... He's such, like, a serious, <laughs> dramatic actor. He's, But he's a ham-bound. He's very... He's got great... Comedic yeah. timing. Though, Have you seen his well. SNL? His so, SNL skits were hilarious. That that's pretty excited. I'm a I'm a fan of Mr. Dinklage. Yeah. Gonna watch him in anything yeah, he does. I'm all for it. And I uh I'm excited because I know Lloyd Kaufman is attached, so I'm sure it's something that will have uh, the same pizzazz as the original. But Troy, what a good choice. I'm excited. I'm excited about choice. that one awesome. for sure. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I'm sure the fans will be excited too. So until uh, that uh, episode drops, guys, 
please keep in mind, give us some love, give us some likes on all of our posts, on all of our episodes, on all of our platforms, especially on that goddamn Apple podcast. God, we're aiming for double digits with the love. Just give us one yes, more like. We'll be yes, getting 10. For sure. The desperation is pathetic. Just end our plea. But honestly, guys, thank you for the support. And please support Teresa just like you support us. The Pop Culture Persephone. Thank you so much for joining us, Pop Culture Persephone. You heard our prayer. Yes. And we, awesome we appreciate you. You are welcome. Awesome having you. Thank you. You guys are awesome. This was All so right. much fun. Dark Night of the Podcast, Pop Culture Persephone. Exactly. Collaboration. Collaboration. There will be more. There will. Right. I hope so. so I hope yeah, so. until next time Thank when you. we talk about the Toxic Avenger, we will see you.